This is The Cole Memo. I am your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the audio, transcript, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to now. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for the episode and the platforms where you can find the episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're currently listening from, simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. You can find the corresponding episode, and from there, you'll be able to access the audio, video, or transcripts. You might also find any links that we reference during the episode so that you might be able to do your own research. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to colememo.com slash Patreon. Once again, that's colememo.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's a great way to support our show. One of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from, and you could favorite this episode, give it a thumbs up, leave a comment, or post a review. Whatever you do, your engagement and support is appreciated. Please enjoy this episode of The Cole Memo. Today is October 23rd, 2023, and the conversation featured in today's episode was recorded on October 6th. 2023 in Washington, D.C. Folks, I just had two notes that I took after, as I stepped away from this conversation. I honestly didn't do a full review of the conversation. I, you know, just kind of threw it together. And what you're about to watch is the, the full cut of that. But two notes that I wanted to address that I think I address in this episode, uh, at least the first point, but the second point, I don't know that I address at all. So the first point that I address is I make it very clear in this episode that I think it could be argued that I have a cannabis addiction, right? Ooh, crazy. Now, is that addiction like causing an issue in my life? No, it's causing as much of an issue as my addiction to Coke is causing. And to be clear, it's an addiction to Coca-Cola. I have to have a Coca-Cola with every fucking meal. And the only problem that causes is sometimes an inconvenience where it's like, shit, I'm about to have a meal, but I really need to have a Coke. The meal's ready, but I don't have a Coke. So I go and like run up to the store and grab a Coke. That's the most inconvenience it causes in my life. And I would say that it's my addiction to cannabis is, is quite similar to, you know, most people's relationship with coffee. Don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. You know, everybody's got to get in Starbucks in line for Starbucks in the morning. So I'm pretty sure I'm very clear about the fact that I don't consider my cannabis addiction to be serious, but I can already see myself getting hate for the fact that I acknowledge the fact that I think I'm addicted with cannabis. And some people are just like, it can't be addictive. Cannabis can't be addictive. I think anything can be addictive. Cheeseburgers can be addictive and you can abuse those. Many people do here in America. Um, you can abuse anything, right? And so it's it's uh it is what it is. I'm never going to argue that it or any other drug should be illegal. I think that's what's 
important to consider about me as you go into this conversation. I, if you didn't know this already, I believe all drugs should be decriminalized and legal to purchase. I believe safe supply is the solution to issues like fentanyl, so on and so forth. And if you happen to partake in any of those substances, which are indeed dangerous and do indeed have a high abuse for potential, well, then you need to deal with the consequences. Just like if I decide to go parachuting, I have to deal, I have to deal with the consequences. Personally, I like to ride motorcycles and I'm very aware of those consequences. And I've seen those consequences play out on some of my friends. Nevertheless, I don't believe that it, you should be legally mandated to wear a helmet. I don't believe that motorcycles should be illegal, regardless of how dangerous they are. This isn't about safety. This is about freedom, folks. And so I wanted to just address where my feelings on drug legalization come from. I'm not saying all drugs are safe. I'm, in fact, I acknowledge the contrary, that, that in many ways, drugs can be very dangerous. But the, I don't think that that means that here in America, uh, where we espouse to be uh, you know, a free country, I, I don't think that throwing people in a cage for making choices uh, that arguably only hurt themselves is the answer. The other thing that I wanted to take on as my phone starts ringing is uh, therapy and how I think that legally mandated treatment is cost prohibitive for most. So cost cost uh, therapy is cost prohibitive. Obviously, issuing citations, which is uh, one of the suggestions, not to spoil this conversation, that Jordan gives to uh, his issue, um, which is cannabis legalization. He thinks the answer would be to give people citations. I think citations combined with cost prohibitive mandated therapy which I'm just assuming it's cost prohibitive. I'm sure maybe he's aware of or somebody's aware of some way to give people the therapy for free through taxpayer dollars, whatever. My thing is all of that sounds cost prohibitive to uh, the poorest and, and you know among us. It would affect minorities worst and first, in my opinion, when I hear things like that. And I just wanted to address those two topics from the onset, you know, um, I'll address the you know critiques I've gotten in um, the intro, the actual intro for this episode that I'll be playing here in just a moment. But I wanted to just take a moment to address some critiques I'm anticipating getting. I think my last thought is, you know, I, I look, I don't take Jordan to task on everything in this episode, and I'm sure he would probably say the same thing about me um, at a certain point. This is a conversation. It's not a debate. Um, and so, though, with that with that said, this will not be the last time I have Jordan on the show. So if there's something specifically that I didn't ad address, please go to uh, thecolememo.com and go to our contact form and send it my way. I will be sure to address it with him. And he's super easy, as I mentioned in this podcast, to book with. So uh, you can just go to the Cole Memo and hit the contact button, or you can go to thecolememo.com slash contact fill out our contact form and you can get in touch with us. There's a, another option that you can uh, select as well. I'm just about to display it on my screen here. You can, if, if you don't want to provide your name and email, which I know some people are weird about, you can message us on Twitter or Instagram. So 
Once again, if you go to the Cole memo, there's a tab that says contact and you can send us a message. In case you didn't know, I used to host a show called the Chillinoy Podcast. Jordan had been on the show several times. If you'd like to check out those episodes, I'll have links to those episodes in the podcast description. I believe they are episodes number 179, number 205, and episode number 226 features Jordan Davidson and Justin Streckel, who, if you didn't know, was a communications director for National Normal, which, of course, works to legalize cannabis at a federal or national level. So if you'd like to see somebody else have a conversation with Jordan Davidson, that's episode number 226. Once again, all of those links will be included in the show notes for this episode of The Cole Memo. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you don't, or if you really do, or whatever, if you have feedback, please send it our way. I'd love to hear it. And I'll keep it in mind the next time I sit down with Jordan Davidson or anybody on the Cole Memo. Enjoy. Uh-huh. A blasphemy, apostasy, a claim to be a leper, Jesus. When Jesus suffered, did Jesus suffer? In this episode of The Cole Memo, I'm coming to you from the heart of our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Today, I smoked weed at the fucking White House, the United States Capitol. <coughs> Jesus Christ. While I will not be storming the Capitol in today's episode, I think that the conversation we're going to have today will take you by storm. Today, I'm sitting down with my friend Jordan Davidson, who is known for working with an organization called Smart Approaches to Marijuana, which is not exactly what it sounds like. Smart Approaches to Marijuana actually lobbies at the federal and state level to keep cannabis from becoming legal. They argue that the legalization of cannabis is just propping up another industry that is based on addiction for profit. As such, as you can imagine, Jordan and I don't really see eye to eye on this topic. But that's exactly what I think will make today's episode so great. I've been critiqued in the past for sitting down with Jordan Davidson. The number one question I always get is, why would you give Jordan Davidson and Smart Approaches to Marijuana a platform? I engage in conversation with people that I disagree with because I'm confident in what I believe in. And I really think that that's the key to this. If you're afraid that by watching today's episode your mind is going to be changed, I think you need to watch today's episode. So whether you are tuning in because you're a fan of the Cole Memo or because you're a fan of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, I encourage you to sit through this entire conversation, even if you don't agree with everything that you're hearing. 
without further ado, this is The Cole Memo featuring Jordan Davidson. Enjoy. All good. We are hot. Jordan, thank you for joining me today on The Cole Memo. Still getting used to saying that. Yes. Awesome to be here. So glad you could come down to, or come across, I guess, to to D.C. uh, and and, and visit me and do an in-person pod. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to acknowledge something that I told you. So we just had lunch. And if you've seen the the behind-the-scenes content, you, you will know that we just had lunch. But one of the things I mentioned during our lunch is that you are easier to schedule with than... I would say any cannabis, uh, how about I say most cannabis companies that I've worked with? There is one that I'm thinking of that's like, you want to do something? Let's do it. But that's how yeah. your approach was. Yeah. I was like, hey, Jordan, I'm coming to DC. I know you're from around there. So let's get together. And you're like, yeah, when? That yeah. was your only question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I like, even if I have different opinions than many of your viewers, uh, you know, I, I'm a total nerd about marijuana policy and I know you are too and you're one of the probably only people outside of you know my organization that I know and like now I've met personally that can keep up with me on talking like actually just knowing what's going on in the space and I love that super exciting so always down yeah do you find yourself I'm speaking from experience do you find yourself having like at parties and stuff like like holding yourself back, like let's not talk about cannabis. Let's like, oh, did you see the game the other day? Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I, it's well, this is the thing. I know that the second I start talking about it, I won't be able to stop. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, maybe it's just because I mean, my job, right? I'm a lobbyist or whatever. You know, the an advocate, as some people would probably prefer to be called. Um, and so I think when I talk about it, especially meeting new people, maybe my goal is to persuade and to tell, you know, try yeah. to convince them my opinion. So yeah, I, I do try and not get too carried away. Yeah. yeah. Same here. I have to remind myself sometimes, even if it's somebody that's going to agree with me, yeah. like where I'm like, I know that they smoke weed. I don't get into the whole, like what I get into, which is the policy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's some people that at like surface level, they're like, we'll talk about smoking weed, but it's a five minute conversation. Yeah. You and right, I, right, right, right. Yeah. We, we can't just really go do back that. and forth from the Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, uh, one of the things just in the spirit of what I just asked, and I asked you this in the past, it seems like one thing that you, that smarter, pro- well, before I ask that question, why don't you intro- reintroduce yeah, yourself? Yeah, right. For forgot folks. right for yeah. people who haven't heard me before. So, Jordan Jordan Davidson. I work for a group called Smart Approaches to Marijuana, uh, or SAM, and we've been around since 2012. Really, our genesis was after Colorado and Washington legalized marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, we we felt like there were kind of two sides to the issue. So there are people on one side that are like war on drugs, lock them up, throw away the key. Everyone's familiar, you know, how I get demonized as being. Uh, and then there's the other side, which is we need to legalize, uh, which, which we view as meaning we need to commercialize. And uh, we don't think that going crazy and, 
and being kind of hawks on the issue, super hard line and not giving people any sympathy or benefit of the doubt is good. Yeah. We also don't think ending up like Seattle, which has more pot shops than Starbucks and McDonald's combined, uh, or you know Colorado where 70% of dispensaries polled advertised to pregnant women is is also, we don't think that's good either, good for public health or public safety. So we kind of come down on it like, we support what Biden did expunging the records, right? Cleaning records, especially for possession. We support decriminalizing, we've gotten into this a lot. We say decriminalizing low level possession. You know, we say, if you're especially, you know, you're a teenager or whatever, have a run in with law enforcement, you have a little bit of marijuana on you, we don't think that should ruin your life. That should not give you a record. That should not uh, bar you from employment. At the most, we would support, you know, treating it like a speeding ticket, essentially, right? That's how we would treat uh, that at that level. Um, but that doesn't mean we have to legalize marijuana. Well, it doesn't mean we have to have dispensaries. It doesn't mean uh, we have to commercialize a new addiction for profit industry that's funded by groups like Big Tobacco. Yeah. Um, so that's where we are. And I'm someone I, in December, I'll have five years of sobriety and addiction recovery. And I work on the marijuana issue because I struggled with, you know, the high potency kind of like dab pens, right? Stuff that are being sold in, in legal markets now and different than uh, people know, like the Woodstock weed of the 70s. Uh, and I want to help kind of raise awareness for that and educate people on it. And because I learned the hard way. So yeah. hopefully prevent people from going down that same path. Yeah, so for for folks that want to look up Sam, it's smartapproachestomarijuana.com. Is that it's, so it's actually learnaboutsam.org, but you can just look up Smart Approaches to Marijuana. It'll be right there. Perfect. Cool. Cool, man. Well, um, we've done several podcasts together, and I went to the Capitol this morning before I met to try to uh, film like kind of an introduction like, hey, I'm in the Capitol today. I'll be speaking to Jordan Davidson. And, sir, are you credentialed for media? We're going to need to ask you to get on the grass. <laughs> okay, my bad. They, they said, sir, we're going to need to ask you to get on the grass. It's That's like, so believe funny. me, you, I'm on the grass. Sorry, just a bad joke. <laughs> uh, no, but I had to leave the plaza. I was at the steps of the Capitol. Yeah. I wasn't storming the Capitol. Uh, uh, but I am hoping today, as or I so say, you say, yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The lame pun I made in the intro is that I am hoping that today's conversation takes people by storm. I've received criticisms from people that, when they sit down with you, they're like, if people even tweet me and they've obviously not listened to our conversations together, they'll be like, "Did you ask Jordan about this?" It's like, yeah, and I asked him about a lot, a lot more. You should check out the episode. Yeah, that's what's right. so great about it. I hope people can hear me out, and that's what I'll say. If, if you're like angrily shutting that, shutting this off right now, just hear me out you may still be angry and disagree with me but maybe you can see where i'm coming from at least so just plug for myself yeah and i want to see if you agree with with what i said in the intro is in that when people ask me they're like why would you give jordan davidson a platform why would you give smart approaches to marijuana a platform and what i say to that is i enjoy having conversations with people that i disagree with yeah and i'm confident in what i believe in and if that makes you uncomfortable Maybe you need to ask yourself why. And I'm talking on both sides. I'm talking. I'm breaking the third wall right now. Okay. Talking to my camera. I'm on both sides of the aisle right now. Like if if you're pro cannabis and you're uncomfortable with this conversation, or if you're anti cannabis and you're uncomfortable with this com conversation, I, I want you to ask yourself why. Like why yeah. can't you hear a, yeah. an opinion that you may not agree with? Yeah, I yeah. agree. It's like people people, especially in this space, you know. 
I think I think every 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 issue have people personal attachments to it. But for some reason at the cannabis space, it's like people get so I don't even know how to say it. They're so attached to it on both sides. Yeah. Because you have bad experiences or you're in recovery. Or you have a kid who's struggling with marijuana, right? Like you're going to be rabidly anti-legalization or this, right? And then people who smoke marijuana, I mean, I don't think you're like this. Uh, and m- maybe this will offend some of your viewers. But like, honestly, it can be kind of cultish. Like the, the yeah. absolute almost idolization of a mm-hmm. of a substance right right like and and that pits people against each other i mean our country lives for watching presidential debates where people disagree with each other on stage like why can't they disagree with each other in real life on an issue like yeah. you know just sit and listen and learn a few things that's how i think yeah yeah well said and yeah i just again uh, before we get into all this i wanted to just acknowledge that like I want you to think about that. If if you thought about turning it off, like why did you? Why did that come to to mind? Because I personally love conversations like these because you put me in a place, and maybe sometimes I put you in the place yeah. to explain why you believe in what you believe in, and I think it's a healthy exercise. For sure, totally agree. So I was curious. I mentioned at the beginning, you know, that it's it's hard for this. This question came to mind when I asked when I was painting the contrast of how easy it is to book with you, but then how hard it is to book with cannabis companies. You mentioned at the beginning, and, and like you said, maybe this will get, get us back into this conversation. We've talked about decriminalization a yeah. lot. And as you've, as you've said, Sam supports decriminalization of small amounts. And I guess what I wanted to ask you today is, why do you think that's a position where Sam is like, on par with cannabis companies like they also don't believe in full decriminalization yeah um well i i guess i'd ask so can you elaborate on what you mean by that so they when when you say they don't so well i I, you know i think i understand i mean i mean how i I guess interpreting what you're saying is they is it a black market thing is that kind of what you're getting at they don't want to compete with people who are just legally able to carry around enough marijuana to be able to deal it the, it, from what I've been told, yeah, they view initiatives like the complete decriminalization of cannabis, which I do believe was like, if you look back at the hippie, like, uh, yeah. uh, parade or parades or protests or whatever, like, I don't think they were like, we want to legalize cannabis, but we only want it to be certain amounts yeah, and yeah, we yeah, only yeah. want rich people to benefit. So I feel like that's the true spirit of the cannabis legalization movement. And I understand why, because, because of our conversations, you've got your objections to those policies but i i view it as ironic that like if you look at it that way and i can give a few more examples since you asked me um it seems like sam is on the same page as cannabis companies yeah i I hear you i I, i'd say a few things yeah so i'm i'm sure that our motivation um for that position is not the same right as we might end up in the same place but i don't think it's the same motivation because where we also disagree with cannabis companies is that we don't we don't think that there should be dispensaries like we don't support the idea of having dispensaries so yeah. they want that policy because they want to have the domination over the market mm-hmm. we don't think they should have domination of, over the market or that the black market should of course the black market's going to exist with or without legalization <clears throat> our goal i think where we would agree with them as well is like we want to see the black market shrink 
right? We want to see that shrink, but I think that means inevitably we want to see marijuana use go down, like reduce marijuana use, uh, increase prevention, and not go to legalization. So the end goal is like different. The, the cannabis company's goal is probably have more marijuana total. Yeah. Ours is to have less. So that's where I'd say we disagree, and we just think that you should be treating people who are dealers differently um, or sellers differently than people who are users or you know who possess it right like that's we just view those things as in a totally different category you know also with the and maybe i need to brush up on my history of this but i'm just from what i understand right like let's take the 60s right the hip starting the real movement like early 60s legalization you know i think the deal the situation with the cartels looks totally different in the 60s than it does in the 80s, the 90s, 2000s, today, right? Like by the 80s and 90s, they had a fully operational, you know, cartel system with Escobar, um, with El Chapo, right? Those guys coming onto the scene, making it a bloody, uh, violent business. Um, that I think, from my understanding, it was just on a different scale than it was 20 years prior in the 60s. And so those guys probably would have benefited from a total decriminalization, right? Like the, the trafficking probably looked different. So I think it was a different time, a different era, and different motivations. And I guarantee you that the hippies of the 60s wouldn't be happy with, uh, you know, Cresco and Altria investing in marijuana and, you know... T- Columbia care or whatever they, they wouldn't be happy with that stuff. So. Yeah Yeah, but like you say yeah, they it, it's interesting to me and I don't know that we'll necessarily be able to go any further on this but it's just like It is interesting to me that you would think cannabis companies would be at the forefront of like Decriminalization, but they really do view it as cutting into their profits Yeah, and that's and that's kind of like that's kind of the point that Sam tries to make Right? Like our slogan is preventing a new big tobacco. Yeah. We say that this is an addiction for profit industry, that 80% of the profits come from 20% of the consumers. These industries rely on addiction and they don't care about anything else other than their bottom line. They don't care about the social justice. They don't care about um, civil, you know, what people would say is civil liberties, right. right? Issues like that, that you'd probably frame in that way. Um, and it's evident here, you know, I guarantee you that these, the same guys would have probably been rah, rah for decriminalization before legalization, before they actually had the company. Yeah. And then once they actually have it, they're like, no, 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 we need to just do whatever we can to maintain our bottom line. Not, not what other people's priorities might be, um, yeah. no matter how virtuous. Right. But do, do you think, and I, I'm just like, do you think that decriminalization, I, I know you disagree with it, but if they disagree with it because of their profit motive, do you think that kind of puts a hole in the addiction for profit like if they're not they're acknowledging like if we did it if we decriminalized it and just let everybody have like if we treated it like tomatoes they're saying we can't make money off of it so it kind of puts you like you're saying they want to legalize it so that they can make a bunch of money and you're right right yeah right you're right, right. right but my thing is like if if what maybe i wanted to happen they wouldn't be able to make as much money. And I, uh, well, it's because you have both things at once. So it's because you have both things at once, right? Like where we would dis might disagree. And I would disagree with some others is that I don't want those businesses there in the first place. I don't want 
big marijuana companies to exist or even marijuana companies, right? Yeah. I don't want that. And people are saying, oh, so you like the illegal market? You like the black market? No, I don't. I'm just saying, I think when you trade kind of the values and priorities, the damage to public health and safety that I see legalization does, I think that's a, a far greater damage. Um, but le if you have legalization and then you decriminalize just generally among non-licensed, uh, I guess you could say businesses, right? People who are just selling, um, that is a, something that I don't support because I don't support, you know, decriminalizing sale, but I also don't support legalization, right? If you decriminalize a small amount of marijuana um, and you don't have legalization, then I think that's the optimal policy. So that's, I guess, where the difference yeah. is. These these businesses don't want to go out of business. They, they want legalization. So I think it's just a totally different landscape when you're dealing with that, that kind of dynamic. Right. And I guess that's what I'm... That's what I'm saying is like if they got what they want, which is legalization, I think you're like a hundred percent on target. But if the people got what they want, I don't mean to speak for yeah, the people, yeah. but if the people got what they want, like I don't feel like I as they say, they won't be able to profit. I yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I just think I don't and maybe it's a moral thing. Yeah. Right? Like that's probably what it boils down to. I my values, I don't think that we should decriminalize the selling of drugs. I just don't. Yeah. Like, that's just period. Uh, I, I think people are struggling with addiction, people who use, that's one thing. Um, I view people who are selling in a, a different way. Uh, and I, I just don't want to do anything to encourage that or support that. Um, so, you know, I just don't think my, my organization definitely just couldn't get behind that. I think it just boils down to a values thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I can see from both sides, not only from your side, but also from even the legal side, why they wouldn't want kind of a fast and loose system like you just described. Yeah. A two tiered kind of. Yeah. 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 Right. What do you think about the idea that I was hoping that I could li listen back to some of our podcasts, but I didn't have time to. But I remember the one that we did before the structured conversation with Justin Streckel. One of the things I tried just as a kind of a, let me try to pitch this a different way. I remember I said, what if Jordan, we were just the only two people on earth? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. told me like, that's not the world we live in though, Cole. And you're right, it's not, but it, it still kind of is. Like I'm sitting right in front of you right now. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Um, I guess what I wanted to ask is, so putting sales aside, like I don't sell to people. Do you think that, and I know this is probably like, this is such a, focused laser question that it's like it may not even apply or anything yeah. but i'm just curious a person like me who's cultivating cannabis for themselves in their own home using it themselves it's not leaving it's not society doesn't even know except for the fact that i just said it on the record <laughs> right yeah do you think there's a problem with that i'd say that i don't have a serious personally, right? And I'm not speaking even for my organization, right? I don't have a serious personal moral problem with that. Mm -hmm. I don't think you are an immoral person for doing that. Now, I think if you were to get behind the wheel and, and you know, intoxicated, if you were to sell that to others, if you were to raise children in a house where you're just growing, you know, people say it's not a drug, but it's a drug. Drugs everywhere. Like, I don't, just like if someone were drinking all the time with kids, I wouldn't say it any differently. People are going to say, oh, you must love alcohol. I always get, oh, he's probably saying this with a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other, right? <laughs> no, don't do either. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, right, I don't have any personal moral 
qualm with that. Yet, do I support that as policy? No. And the reason is because you, I consider you a friend and I trust you and I think you're a responsible person. Um, and so while I might trust a friend to responsibly engage in that, uh, I might not trust the guy next door. And I don't think uh, that the potential consequences from that kind of a system, even though it's more limited than full legalization, will be beneficial. I think it's inevitable that you're gonna have some loopholes. It's inevitable that someone's gonna sell that off. Uh, someone's gonna drive under the influence, right? All those kinds of things. So even if the base activity I might morally not think is the worst thing ever, uh, I, I do still have some issues with it. And I think that that's where the greater ideological divide is in the cannabis space and in the drug space between myself and people, maybe on the more libertarian end. Um, people, people opposed to me on this from the libertarian angle <clears throat> are kind of based in principle. Yeah. Right. So they say my principle says that that activity is not immoral. It's okay. And objectively to the letter of the law, like just doing exactly what you describe doing, that's okay. That's not harming people or whatever. But I, I, I say that's great, but we don't live in that world. That's not the world we live in. People do get behind the wheel, stoned and drunk. People do sell marijuana to others. People do sell it to minors. Uh, there's a lot of issues. So uh, that's why I can't get behind those policies. Maybe that's a little cynical, but I think we've had ample evidence that that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just really feel like your concerns boil down to the sales and how it would impact society at large. Yeah. You know? And that's why I'm trying to meet, trying to like come up with a middle ground proposal because I agree with you that some of these people, they're like, it's like they want it and everything. And so I'm trying to like find this. Yeah, like, the middle ground. I mean, I think I, you know, I, so, so to give you the background on even the home grow stuff, yeah. um, I used to have less of a problem with home grow than I even do now. Like if we were talking three years ago. Yeah. I probably would have told you I'm totally fine with home grow, like personally. Um, but then exactly what I talked about, those unintended consequences started to pop up. Like a st I read a story, and now I talk, I talk about this a lot, about drug cartels moving from Mexico and Cuba and other countries into Colorado because Colorado had home grow laws, it wasn't the dispensaries, it was the home grow laws. They rented out suburban homes and they started to just grow pot in the backyard and sell it off because why would they waste the time and money on shipping and trafficking across a border or internationally when they could go right, grow right there in Colorado? No one was gonna right. stop them. So it's like, I think probably, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, if you could choose whether that would happen, I'm sure you would choose for drug foreign drug cartels to not come in and grow stuff and right like yeah. probably that's not ideal for that system but it happens yeah so that's where i think my my skepticism or cynicism is is on this yeah fair yeah it just like i say it gets tough for me like so we've talked about what you would propose like let's just keep on this yeah this hypothetical scenario yeah. for a second in the past you've told me that like what what do you think is the answer to me just doing that and then we'll talk about like sales 
Yeah. But like, let's, let's again, just like what my preferred policy would be. Yeah. Like what would, how would you deal with Cole doing this? The officials found out what's the answer. Yeah. You know, um, you know, man, I, I, I mean, I guess I have to admit what I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know exactly what kind of a penalty or that like a home grow would do. I, I, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't think yeah. I want that to be fully allowed. Do I know exactly? I mean, I'm not, you but know, like I, in the case of po- possession, possession so for like, I think it would just might be easier to explain like what I would prefer right, sure. to be permitted and, and not permitted. Right. I think, as I said in the beginning of the pod, I think that we should treat marijuana and um, use and possession the same way that we treat a speeding ticket. That's how I think it should be treated. I think that if you are caught and, you know, people are going to try and nail me down on, it's like on a limit on this. It's like, do you know what's funny? It's like the abortion argument. Like how many weeks or this or that yeah. do people, okay, like, like in this conversation right now without, you know, looking it over and thinking, I'm not going to be able to say this is the exact limit I sure. would propose for this, but just generally, like a generally small amount, you know, enough for personal consumption, like what, you know, you're going out, you know, on, on a on a walk with the cousin at Thanksgiving, right? Like that, that, like, you know, that's what yeah. we're talking about. Uh, I, you know, I think if you have an interaction with law enforcement that you should maybe pay a fine, but, but I don't think that that should go on your record. I don't think that that should bar you from employment. And I think you can go on your merry way, just like you get a speeding ticket. Uh, and now there can be different infractions. For example, I actually, it might be a funny story for your viewers. Uh, the reason I work at Sam is because of a speeding ticket. I don't know if I've told you this story. No. <clears throat> so I, uh, it was, it was nothing to do with substances. I was in recovery. I was just a total jackass and <laughs> I was driving like 85 and a 55 the summer before college. And it was at night and I was in my parents' car and I was blasting music, probably looked like a total jerk. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a 65, but still shouldn't have gone 85. And I got pulled over by a state trooper. This guy was like big, tall, Eastern European dude, totally intimidating. And he was like, this is ridiculous. You can't be going this fast. So he slapped me with a $450 speeding ticket. Damn. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fat. Yeah. And uh, so my parents were pissed, but they were also like, you got to go. We got to go to traffic court and get this expunged yeah. because the points on your license or whatever it is will be so much like more money and in insurance over time mm-hmm. rather yeah. than just trying to do something and get it off the record, even if you have to pay more up front or whatever. Like, okay. right. So that's what we did. And my sentence or whatever you want to call it from the traffic court judge was to do 25 hours of community service. And I did it at a nonprofit called Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Oh, wow. And I've been working for them ever since. So, um, but long story short, the point is like that speeding ticket, it's almost analogous, like was a big one. It was a really big one. And I had to do more to kind of get past that. Right. And so maybe if it's a little bit more, you get a bigger one, or if it's a little less, you just get a smaller one. Right. But that's how I would view the issue. And we're not criminalizing people. We're not ending their lives. You know, I think there can be reasonable restrictions. Like, I don't think that there should be public use. Like, I don't think you should walking down the streets you can't drink alcohol either like that or right? smoke cigarettes. Right. You can't, right. Exactly. Like we have a lot, I think, I think a lot of the same regulations that we have on alcohol and cigarettes, people say, let's regulate it like that. That's not what I'm saying. Because when people say that they're saying, look at liquor stores, look at how we sell tobacco. I don't think that's how we should 
monitor marijuana at all. But we've done a great job in some ways of rolling back a lot of the laws that uh, allowed for more liberal use of alcohol and tobacco, um, you know, public consumption, one of them public drunkenness, right? There are actually more arrests for alcohol than any other drug, like over a million a year because people break these laws. Um, but, you know, for marijuana, I would consider the same thing um, just without setting up a legal sales system. Um, I think we can do that and you get fined and stuff, but you're not getting thrown in prison. I think that's a very reasonable system. Um, and I also just think that that would provide a blanket of safety, I guess, from the criminal justice system for most people. Like most people aren't dealers. Most people, and even half the dealers are just high schoolers with a few dab pens that are selling right to, you know, they're, they're not like big time dealers that is going to cover most people. Um, and I just have a little less sympathy toward the dealers. So, right. I think this, this would be a system that would actually be net positive for, 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 for everyone and, um, would do good at both protecting people who, you know, maybe shouldn't get a record, but also making sure that we're dis- discouraging use. Cause I think we should discourage use of all substances. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah. And that's where I will agree with you. I agree that we should discourage use. And I just, I, as you might expect, I disagree with citations being the form of that. Like, here's the thing. I know that it's the example I'm about to give is brutal. So feel free to choke slam me on it. But like, frankly, the commercials that get my attention these days, have you ever like, even I don't watch TV often, but I went to my grandparents' house the other day and it's all background noise. But then all there's the sudden there's this one commercial where it's like, I started smoking cigarettes yeah, when yeah, I was yeah, 17. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that I'm, 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 it's horrible. I think we can both agree that that happened to that individual. Yeah. But now they're involved in public health campaigning, like yes. a public health campaign showing the negative effects of tobacco. And I, I'm not saying that means that we just open the doors and let's see what happens. But I, I, I mean. I kind of am. <laughs> so that's why I'm I, saying like... I think we have opened the door though. Yeah. We have, I, open, you know, we have a makes, lot of negative experiences already. And I yeah. think we, we, we don't have to keep going on the same path. I want to address that point cause about the commercial. I think that's yeah. a really interesting point um, to not go off topic, but pivot to that. But, but I want to address... Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank now. We were saying about... Um, Yo, oh, I know what I was going to say. You know, I do think, so the, re, you know, I don't, I, I'm not just throwing out their citations for no reason. I'm not just saying that for no reason. You know, uh, cost is a real actually determinant for, you know, it's a really determinative factor for drug use, right? Really actually helps dissuade. Um, we know that uh, like prohibition of uh, heroin, I think has, you know, I forget, it's like between 10 and 30, I forget the exact percent, you know, dissuaded use, right? Like reduction in use from its prohibition. Um, You know, anecdotally, I have a friend who, uh, you know, you went to a dispensary and just had no idea what the prices were going to be. It was like the only dispensary in town or something, right? Um, and had no idea that the prices were going to be so high and realized it's not even worth it. And then they were like, oh, I don't even want to really do this anymore. Yeah. You know, like that's like a real life of like dissuading from use. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think citations can help with that. And that's why I'm not just throwing that out there as nothing. Um, so that's on, on the price point and kind of why I believe that. But the commercial point, I, I like we... And now e-cigarettes have 
kind of just blown it all up, right? In terms of the progress we made with tobacco and yeah. reduction. But we made so much progress in reducing youth tobacco use, right? And youth smoking. I mean, people used to smoke. My grandpa uh, used, you know, smoked when he was like 11 years old, a pack a day, right? Yeah. Uh, it was crazy. And uh, a lot of that has been advertising and commercials, like the Truth Initiative and, and Tobacco Free Kids. And um, the government used to do a lot of these kinds of advertisers. And this is just a point of policy. That's something I really support and I'm actually fighting for in my job right now to, to, get, to get back. ONDCP, the Office of National Drug Control Policy, it's a uniquely powerful agency or office of government. Mm -hmm. There's the executive office of the president, so the White House, and ONDCP is in the White House. Then there's OMB, OMB's Office of Management and Budget. Mm. OMB is kind of like the, the top dog in government, and they manage the budgets and everything for all these different um, agencies, yeah. right? But OMB has a lot less oversight over ONDCP than it does other agencies because ONDCP isn't like a part of the State Department or Treasury yeah. Department. It's in the White House. Right. So they're a uniquely powerful you know, group that does, right, within our government that does drug policy. And since 1998, they have had in their congressionally approved mandate, their congressional mandate to do their job, a section that says we would like funding and they have a plan for it for anti-drug youth media campaigns mm. a la those commercials right that yeah, yeah like that okay that was defunded 10 years ago mm. congress stripped all the appropriations away for that so it's still within their mandate to do that but they have no money to do it and uh, they said it's, it didn't work, whatever, it wasn't, it wasn't good. We have a, so much data. Some of those programs didn't work, I'll readily admit. Some of those like media campaigns were, were, were bad. Some of them actually were effective and independent right. Like reviews. the one with the girl on the couch, like laying and flat. There, there's, I don't know which, there's one uh, called uh, Against the Influence, ATI. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like now it's, it, people have mixed feelings, but, but uh, independent reviews show that that one was successful. We know what worked and didn't work, yet we gutted it. Like those commercials are effective. Like it gets your attention, but we don't right. even do that. Like we can do things, we can decriminalize your marijuana possession and liberalize the laws in some ways while putting things in place to help counterbalance, right? And that's what I support. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, I bring up the the commercials because I wanted to wrap it back to the citation idea. Like, I'm sure that four hundred fifty dollar ticket sucked, but the reason yeah. they gave it to you, I think, is like. And it's not exactly equivalent, so maybe I could make the same argument with with the citation thing. But I think they slapped you with such a high ticket because you know you're going 85, and they're thinking proportionate to the damage in society you might be able to cause, right? Yeah. So we're gonna give you a big fucking ticket, so yeah. that Jordan, you think about speeding again. But like in the example we just gave with a Thanksgiving walk, like what's the damage to society that would you know, require a citation for me and my cousin that are just going to get prepped for the meal. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I hear what you're saying um, about like direct damage. I think there's a ton of damage to society that just increasing drug use has, right? Like increasing drug use clearly is not good. Like in, in most measures, it's, it's increases driving under the influence uh, you know, it, it has a lot of bad effects on families, um, on communities. Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, it doesn't mean that every person who has used a drug should be demonized. Like, 
I used to smoke a lot of weed, right? I didn't think of myself as a bad person or like I was hurting anyone and I, you know, maybe I was harming my friends and family, like relationships, but I, I wasn't harming people. Yeah. Um, but I just think that that's something that should be dissuaded. I hear what you're saying. I, I recognize the difference about like an immediate consequence to yeah, that yeah. action. Because um, like I think you would agree and maybe I would even agree if I like, if a cop caught me giving some gummies to a kid, it's like, okay, Cole, that is a fucking, you're giving to somebody uh, under right, am I, Yes, yes. There's damage to society, yeah. ticket, and maybe it's a lot. Maybe it's even, I don't know, prison time, honestly, because that's something that comes into the equation when you do the same thing with alcohol. So wouldn't be opposed yeah, to that. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I I think um, I think I use it as more of um, just a, a a dissuasion, and maybe it's in the longer term, right? Yeah. Like I think I think of it on a mass scale, right? Okay, if we can cause a dissuasion of use and overall reduce the numbers of use, that's going to reduce the negative outcomes. Yeah, right? it's not so much about in the moment this or that, and obviously driving under the influence would be or dealing would be more severe of a, a penalty sure, than, sure. than something like that. You know, yeah, um, you know, like you know, people float around. Okay, like fifty bucks or something. You know, it's not 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 like finding people hundreds of dollars for whatever and. Uh, and you know, I would want enforcement of that, but, uh, let's just be real. Is that even going to be enforced? Like probably not. Right. Like, like it's not even, I mean, to really, your point, marijuana laws are not enforced to your you point. Know? Yeah. When I went to, to maps, yeah. <laughs> I asked the officers cause everybody's just smoking weed in front of the conference center. Yeah. And yeah. so I asked him, I was like, can I light this joint up right now? And they're like, I'm going to ask you to step away from me a bit, but, and no, you're not allowed, but we're not going to write you a citation for it. They told me that. Like, I got it on camera. Like, yeah, like we like, just don't. They, they said, from their perspective as an officer, they said it was worth more time and trouble. Then it's right to. And yeah. here's where I will actually agree with you. I've had a researcher. Her name's Suzanne Schick. She's from the University of California. And she goes to different cannabis business. And yeah, I want to be mindful of Oh, no, time. no, no. You're fine. You're fine. I'm just but, uh, making sure my bot, you know, I get notifications all the time. Yeah. But she, she is pro-cannabis, but she also uh, brings a device. So she uh, does a lot of research with, like, second-hand smoke. And I believe she was even a part of the group that coined the term third-hand smoke. Do you know what third-hand smoke is? Yeah. You do? Yeah, I do. For folks that don't know, I want to just give a quick example so that we can move on. But, like, sometimes parents will step into the garage, right? Step out of the house in order to prevent giving their yeah. child some secondhand smoke and they think they're being a good parent by doing that. But, su- but what she's pointed out is that the tobacco itself will get on your fingers in the walls on your clothing and you are still exposing your child to levels of nicotine yeah, and carcinogens. carcinogens. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be on the remotes and I've everything else, like, light switches. You know, some people try and talk about like, like fifth hand smoke. I, I've never heard I don't, of that. I don't even know how far it goes, but yes, I know about third hand smoke. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but anyways, uh, just wanted for folks that didn't know who she was, she has given and collected amazing data that suggests that what I witnessed at psychedelic science 2023 is n- not okay. And by that, I mean, 
So you're not from Illinois, but recently in Illinois, we had these air quality alerts because of the, the smoke from Canada. Yeah. Oh my God. We did too. It was so bad. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. It was like, it was like being at a bonfire, but everywhere, everywhere, yeah, crazy. And so I had never been, I've never experienced something like that, but yeah. people in California have. And so it was interesting at the time she gave me an example that didn't quite resonate, but now it resonates with me. She said, Cole, at these events that I go to that are outdoor, she also goes to consumption lounges as well to take levels with this device she has okay. of the carcinogens in the air, particulate in the air, a bunch of other data. She said, even at the outdoor ones, which I, that was my proposal. I'm like, okay, maybe we just don't do it indoor. Yeah, 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 Let's yeah, do yeah, it yeah, outdoor, yeah. you know, open air. It won't hurt people as much. And she said, Cole, even at those events, you, there would be an air quality alert. She said, now granted, that's not as it's not quite the same scenario that I laid out in psychedelic science where people are coming out and they're smoking cigarettes and cannabis at different times. This is oftentimes everybody smoking yeah, at, at the once, same right. time. Yes, yes. So it is yeah, kind of a saying. little bit of a, but That's it's an extreme, still, but yes, yeah. to your, I just want to acknowledge to your point, like we have to be careful. And I've even gotten in some disagreements with people in Illinois when they're proposing, they're like, well, let's, so we've got consumption lounges, but why can't they be part of restaurants? Why can't they be a part of bars? You know why folks? Because we've learned our lesson. Yeah, right. I, smoke. It's it's this is this is I think my biggest one of my biggest gripes. Like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. Right. Like, you you get the reforms, and I'm against legalization. But let's say you get legalization. Right. You're getting mm-hmm. this stuff. Everyone's always like promising responsibility. Right. You know. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this in, you know, with some, with some folks, but like take another issue, like the gun issue. They were talking about responsible gun owners and and yes, of course they're responsible gun owners, but the point is we have a lot of shootings. Yeah. Like it happens. Right. Right. Like, and why probably part of the reason we're dishing guns out left. Right. So think about marijuana, right? Okay. I might, I'm, I still wouldn't just be, I wouldn't be okay with legalization, mm-hmm. but I might even I'm be a little less, a little bit. oh, sorry, yeah. yeah, I might even be a little less dogged in my opposition uh, if, if I really, if I really believed that there was some level of responsibility, mm-hmm. but, but what you see is, okay, so you have legalization, and then you have laws on the books to kind of counterbalance it, you know, no public use, stuff like that, reasonable things. And yet people want to push for people it. want to push it and they push it. And guess what? People who are supposed to hold you accountable for it. Don't hold people accountable. And the less you hold people accountable, the more people are just going to do it. Yeah. So and feel comfortable doing all of a sudden you don't just have legalization and you don't just have or don't just have decriminalization. You have people, you know, cities now reek. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, smell personally i don't really care me because i smoked so it doesn't bother me i know it bothers somebody it's so funny right it doesn't actually bother me at all but it bothers so many people Mm -hmm. uh and you have all these issues with that so like you again you can't have your cake and eat it too like you get some reform but people always are going to push it yeah so and that's my problem people will always push it yeah so i want to be fair to both of us here sometimes i think i'm too optimistic like the, the scenario I just laid out where, you know, I, I'm at home and I grow myself. You, you yeah. pointed out like, you know, that's, you trust me to do that. And maybe you wouldn't have a problem with me, but we're not talking about just coal here. Yeah. I think on the other end, people might say that some of the things that not only you have, but your organization has to like respond is 
you're always worried about like what might happen. And I want to say some of your stuff is not based. It's not that it's not based in data. You're right. You're coming from a place where it's like, yeah, but some of it does just feel like, and I don't know how you address, I'd be curious how you address this. Some of it just feels like slippery slope, you know? And I want to acknowledge once again, I just said you have slippery slope. Maybe sometimes I'm too idealistic. Like I think it's all going to be rainbows and butterflies. So I'm trying to be fair and saying that. So, you know, slippery slope, I know objectively is a logical fallacy, right? Yeah. Like objectively, it's a logical, fa- logical fallacy. But in the marijuana space, or the drug policy space, I think the slippery slope has really played out as being true. And so um, I'll give several examples. 20 years ago, we had people, you know, my boss who was doing this stuff 20 years ago. Um, and by the way, was Kevin in ONDCP? Yeah, so so I he's so, so yeah. he's the only person to have ever been appointed as a drug policy staffer to both Republican and Democratic White right. Houses. So he worked for Clinton, Bush, and Obama. He was a senior drug policy advisor to President Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you know, people would tell him 20 years ago, "Oh, it's just marijuana. We're just going to legalize weed, and then we're going to stop there. We're going to do no more than that, right? Because other stuff is harder, or whatever they would say." So, you know, and it's even geographical, the slippery slope, right? Things start in, you know, the uh, you know, Southwest Canada, you know, Pacific Northwest of the United States, right? It starts there in Vancouver and places like that and S- Seattle and Portland and then trickles down to California and then goes across, kind of leaps across to uh, the, the Northeast and trickles down the Eastern seaboard and the Midwest and then finally hits the South, right? Yeah. That's like literally how drug policy moves. It's like a migration. It's like mm-hmm. following a yeah, migration pattern. Um, and so you start with just medical marijuana, which by the way, medical marijuana was a term invented by three billionaires in the 1990s because they were losing, they perceived losing kind of their side of, of the drug issue. Drugs were not popular. People were very anti-drug. And so they said, well, if we stick the word medical in front of marijuana, people are, of course, who can be against medicine, right? And that really started the trend in 1996. California legalizes medical. Okay, it's medical, 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 medical. But then it becomes recreational, recreational. Uh, then it's not just recreational legalization with taxes. Well, now the taxes that we promised would fund the schools and fund the addiction treatment, uh, creating a black market are too high. So then we have to cut the taxes. Oh, now we also want consumption lounges, which were never on the table before, but now we want these consumption lounges. Uh, Now we want to sell all different kinds of products. Uh, Now there's actually a bill in the United States Senate to do this. So this, I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. Uh, Now we want to allow television and radio advertisements for marijuana when we banned that for cigarettes in 1971. And so now we're going to spread all this. And then at the same time, let's start doing medical psychedelics, not recreational, of course, not recreational, but medical, because just like marijuana, they're the silver bullet for PTSD, which we were talking about at lunch. Uh, You know, and then, well, let's experiment with just Recreational psychedelics. Colorado does that. DC decriminalized it. Gavin Newsom has a bill on his desk in California to legalize psychedelics. Uh, and then Oregon in 2020, let's let's have a, a bill to legalize uh, the possession of all drugs, including fentanyl. Right. Uh, then in Vancouver, a guy set up the first ever like fentanyl dispensary. Right. And then the, I had the, him the, on my show. The, oh, did you really? Yeah. So Are funny. you talking about Dana Larson? He I don't had, know if it was Dana oh, okay. Larson, but he right, he sent an all, all drug dispensary, right? Yeah, and it's like, and you know, I know overdose consumption sites are very, or sorry, sorry, consumption sites, uh, you know, overdose prevention sites are are, are controversial, but uh, you know, then you have those, and the point is, like, for me, it's clearly a slippery slope, 
like it started with medical marijuana and now we have fentanyl that's legal in Oregon. Yeah. Like that's well, a very clear pattern to me of always the next thing. Yeah. Always the next thing. Um, and so that's where I'm skeptical. And I guess I don't want to fuck around and find out. Right. Like that's not, I don't, we did that with cigarettes. We did that with alcohol. Yeah. We're doing it with marijuana. We're just doing it with psychedelics and it hasn't gone well. Yeah. That's my opinion. People yeah. might think it has, but oh, you know, two stats to leave you, two stats to not leave you with, but to just like, if you remember two things from this interview or, or this conversation, people, um, for why I'm concerned in the way that I am concerned, um, this would be it. From 2000 to 2020, there was a 245% increase in marijuana abuse among people age six to 18, whereas alcohol levels remained basically steady, alcohol abuse levels, okay? But skyrocketing from 2000 to 2020, that's one stat. Second stat, uh, which is even scarier, from 2017 to 2021, there was a 1,375% increase in kids aged five and under uh, getting poisoned by, mar- by ingesting two marijuana edibles. You know, so situations where you have a legal, that's probably a legal dispensary, right? And you're getting like gummies, parent gets gummies or an older brother or sister leaves them out on the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Of course the kid's going to take them, right? You know, and, and you could, and people are going to say, well, it's irresponsible parenting. So it's a, you know, well, blame the parents. Don't blame the dispensary. It's irresponsible parenting. Okay. Yeah. Blame the parents, but we can avoid that problem. Like we have to take into account that humans make mistakes. Humans are stupid. We do irresponsible things. And what can we do to create policy that takes that into account? And that's why I'm so against the kind of this libertarian dream of, well, like, you know, that person should be held accountable, individual responsibility with this kind of a thing. Like individuals oftentimes aren't responsible and you have to factor that in because the consequences are statistics like that, that I just kind of, you know, uh, told you about. So that, that's kind of how, why I feel the way I feel. And, and, and I think it's only going to get worse if we continue down this path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have not heard of either of those, but I'm sure people can Google them yeah. to find to find it. Yeah. Happy, I'll send, if you want to put in the description too, I'll send them to you. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, just, just because you brought them up and I had thoughts, I don't know exactly. I might have you restate the first one about the adults between 2000, you said like between six and 18, but then the second thought really stood out to me. You said that the st- second stat. Um, you said what was it again? Z- fought for and how many year olds were so poisoned? so so f- five and under. So five under six. Under. So five 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 years old and under. So one thousand three hundred seventy five percent increase from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one. And that's it, it's like I think that study was measured by like poison control, you know, center calls and stuff like yeah. that and measuring increases. Yeah. And I don't think even if it did cause a death, which I have heard of. Yeah. I've heard that too. Cannabis uh, deaths where somebody will attribute it to being cannabis related. Yes. Like toxic, that's controversial. To, to say. Well, there are, there can be deaths by the way, you know, it's not only just, it's not about like an overdose necessarily. And also, you know, it's funny the word overdose cause overdose just means you take too much of it and have a biological reaction that causes death right? Like think about cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which yeah. I know you're familiar with CHS. Like you can die from that because you vomit so much, uh, that, yeah. that you die of dehydration. You have to go to the hospital. Like there can be deaths. I'm not trying to claim that it's going to cause, and I've never claimed that we're going to have as many deaths as alcohol sure. or cigarettes, but 
there sure. can be some instances. Yeah. And I, that was the point I was going to make is that, and I know that you know this, but with the kids, it's not like there were any fatal overdoses. I, I The only reason I say that is because people in Illinois have been talking about Delta 8 and stuff and they call yeah. it poisoning. And my thing is poisoning is like, like I, they had this picture of this kid <laughs> and she's like sitting there, like it, it's a young kid. And I know it's probably a sad thing to see, but I see some humor in every situation, even. Yeah. Yeah. And she's sitting there just like this, like with a sucker. And it's like, I've seen poisoning. Well, so poisoning. So, so, so there's a reason they say poisoning. Yeah. So, um, like, uh, for example, when they talk about fentanyl, they say fentanyl overdose. Yeah. Yeah. And then some people say fentanyl poisoning. And my understanding is that there's a difference. Um, like an overdose would probably be more attributed to like someone who's just shooting up. Mm hmm. And they're trying to use fentanyl. They know they're using fentanyl. Yeah. And I'm just like a heroin overdose. They shoot up and they die because they have too much. A poisoning is like accidental. Gotcha. Right. So if you die of fentanyl poisoning, it's like a kid who orders what he thinks is a perk on Snapchat and it's right. really fentanyl. Right. A kid who thinks he's eating gummies, but it's poisoned by marijuana because it's accidental. I think that's why they say poisonings. Yeah. That I makes sense. Just for clarity. I think that's why they use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah, the other stat though, I mean, I don't really have, uh, what, what was it again that they were more addicted? What was the, so it's stat? like, so, so it's a, so there was a, uh, and I can even look it up to, to get the sure. exact. So, so basically, uh, there was a, I know the number is there was a 245% increase, uh, in from ages six to 18 in marijuana abuse, I think is the actual language of. The study, yeah, so um, teen poisonings, so this is, so according to a new study published in Clinical Toxicology, which reviewed records of nearly 339,000 uh, poison control cases, the number of calls involving marijuana rose 245% among six to 18 year olds between 2020, uh, for, sorry, between 2000 and 2020, over 80% of exposures were among adolescents 13 to 16. And I think I think the most important part is alcohol use has steadily declined over, yeah, the study actually says, the first line in the study is, adolescent cannabis abuse has increased 245% since 2000 in the US, while alcohol abuse has steadily declined over the same time. And so the question is, you know, people often say treat it like alcohol because people make all these people make all the comparisons to why it's similar and why it's different. Of course, it's a different substance, right? But I think some people think of it at almost like the same level, right? Like of a hardness or some, you know, some people like to think of it, right? So why, if both are so common, has there been such a sharp increase yet a decrease with alcohol? And I say that's down to policy, and policy and normalization kind of yeah. fuel each other. So that's the impact, in my opinion, of policy um, and good good versus bad. Yeah. I agree with you that it's policy. I just wonder if it's, like, I, not even disputing the numbers. I believe those numbers. I wonder if it's a result of, because especially if you're talking about starting in 2000, like, there's not any real regulations back then. Yeah. But nowadays, like, I've heard that... I know this isn't perfect in all states, but I think Colorado was pretty well, like they had very little issue with like children getting into their dispensaries. So in other words, if a child's going to get cannabis, it'll be like alcohol, hopefully, ideally. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's just so much underage. Where it's harder. There's, I, yeah. I understand hard. I mean, I think there's so much underage drinking. There's underage smoking. Like, you know, I got sober before I could have my first legal drink or legal smoke, right? Like, you know, I, it's, 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 yes, of course, there can be some counterbalance there with those laws. But I think on the whole, we're seeing such a sharp increase. And I think that that is also just cultural. Right, but I think the policy contributes to that cultural shift because there's it's almost like a chicken and egg debate, you know. Like, did did the policy create the culture, or did the culture create the policy? And I viewed the two as like fueling each other. Of course, there are reasons California did this first, and Alabama hasn't. Right, like there are definitely reasons, but I think they can fuel each other. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I just wonder that we're going to have to find a middle ground because this issue isn't going away from, I think, my side of the fence where I think that I, I, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I think I argue in better faith than most. Here's the thing. I'm not in the cannabis industry. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I'm not. Which is kind of why I like talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you, you know, argue in very good faith. I mean, you, and it's like, this is what I try to do which is why I like talking to you because I feel like you're the same way. When you don't know something fully, you admit it. When you are wrong about something, you've admitted it. And when you, uh, you know, you even started off a show one time saying I looked more into something you said and I realized I was wrong. Like, and, you know, if there's a point that I feel that you might feel like I bested you on, you've admitted it. And I, I feel like I do the same things. Yeah. Or like earlier in the show, I think, you know, there was something I said about the exact citations or something like that, right? I don't know exactly, like I, the home grow, the penalty, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like there are things I, you know, that need to be flushed out and that I need to make a decision on, right? Um, but, and it's not combat because of that, because we're able to admit that neither of us are like perfect people with exact thought processes that have yeah. figured everything out. That's a good conversation, but it's it's hard for me to interact with the folks from the industry because i feel like it, it's such a motivation mm-hmm. there to just push the point yeah it's tough yeah i wanted to ask you about denver so don't let me forget that i'll try not to okay. forget it colorado denver um but uh back to what we were just discussing like again this isn't going away so like you know you're, you guys have your heels dug in on this is addiction for profit, and I concede that in many ways it is. But, like, where – that's that's my thing. It's just – I know I've made this pitch to you before, and I know how you feel about, like, the civil liberties pitch, but it's like where in this freedom-espousing country is, is there, like, a lane where it's like we're very honest about – what could happen about cannabis if you start using young anything else yeah but we also still don't have i know you'll disagree with me on this but mandated treatment or even law enforcement criminalities for things that that aren't causing harm to society yeah i mean i I don't i I don't know where you are on like mandated treatment in terms of just total opposition or only in some cases the only thing i don't like about mandated treatment we've talked about it in the past is like okay it's mandated what happens if i don't respond to that mandate and the answer seems to be you're going to jail (laughs) yeah yeah no no, i hear you on that i mean i I mean i'm very i'm i'm for mandated treatment yeah you know people say compulsive people say uh, well compulsive compelling someone into recovery or whatever doesn't work well there it actually does um 
the research shows it does. People just don't like to think it does because that's not a world that they want to live in. Oh, well, people need to come to things on their own. Actually, the process can be sped along yeah. um, because you know, my opinion, this is, I've, I've come up with this definition, I'm kind of proud of this definition because I feel like I've thought about this for several years and I finally come to it because I, you know, it's like thinking about addiction, like what does rock bottom mean? Right? Because people have like, they call it your bot hitting your yeah, bottom, yeah. right? Like for me, my bottom was relatively high. Some people have to get a DUI where they kill someone on the road. Some people just have to lose their girlfriend or something. You know, yeah. some people, right? So it's like, what really is the bottom of addiction? How can you even define it? Because you kind of can't. And I've defined it as hitting bottom is the point where you've run out of fuel for your own denial. Addict, the hallmark of addiction is denial. You deny that you have a problem. You never admit, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not an addict, I'm not this. You deny that your actions have consequences, right? It's all about denial and you can deny to yourself all you want. And when you run out of the ability to really deny that things are not good, then you gotta look at yourself in the mirror and say what's going on. And you still might not get help, but it's only until you reach that point that you can get help. So my whole thing about the mandated treatment is, is it 100% effective? No. The second someone goes in front of a drug court, does that cure them? Right. No. But in my opinion, in my personal experience with addiction and knowing what it feels like to go through that process, could stepping in front, waking up one morning and going to drug court, facing a judge saying it's either treatment or jail, that's gonna be a pretty big wake up call for some people. Yeah. If you haven't had your wake up call, that's kind of got to be it, right? So it's like waking up one morning and just realizing, holy shit, my life is out of control, right? Like admitting the, that's why the first step in the 12 steps, and I'm not like advocating one way or another on that. Like I've done, I've, you know, I've done a lot of meetings. I don't really go anymore, but sure. you know, like is, is admitting that you have a problem, right? That's why, because that's the first step because you're not the AKA you're not in denial anymore. And so that's kind of, I just almost in a philosophical way or why I am not against mandated treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And I know again, I'm like, just, it's a, a tough example to use myself, but like, I'm going to go on the record right now on the Cole memo and saying, I think I've told you this in the past, by the way, but I've got an addiction to cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. Just let the air settle for a second. Like I've, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, sometimes I have to be like, you know, and it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. And I have cravings and, uh, there are withdrawal symptoms. Now, are they, you know, unpleasant, not all the time I've had unpleasant withdrawal symptoms, symptoms like, uh, not having an appetite or whatever, but yeah. some other withdrawal symptoms I've had is like crazy lucid dreams. I don't know. That was pretty fucking cool. But, uh, yeah, I do. I had that too. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, but I also think the difference in I look, I don't know everything about your life, dude. For all I know, you could live the perfect life. Your personal life could be in shambles. You don't need to talk about it. I'm just saying, who the heck? No, I don't know. But, but, you know, there's other layers to addiction. Like, yeah, maybe physically, like you might have that too. I think even a more important aspect of it is, you know, addiction. Uh, one of the definitions of addiction is, you know, continuing to do something despite con negative consequences, right? right? It's, it's just like I'd have people ask themselves and maybe like you also ask yourself and not necessarily publicly, but just like thinking of just food for thought, like, you know, maybe, maybe you have trouble with your use or moderation of cannabis, but 
is it how is it impacting your life? Because there are several people out there who maybe their marijuana use doesn't impact their life, but maybe it really impacts their relationship with their family, their friends, their job. They're not able to succeed, right? Like that, right. and that's just a worse place to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's even what makes a difference, even more than like a physical like withdrawal, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's again. I know I'm the. It's a hard case to use, but it's like when you talked about like finally being confronted with that like yeah i think for most people that have a problem that are in denial like that is a good thing that we're offering them for society like a choice yeah and it's a clear one and it's like dude you need to get fucking treatment or do you want to go here like i get the the binary of that but like for somebody like me i'd be looking at it and i'd just be like are you kidding me? These are my two options. Like what, what I know that it has to be pretty serious for me to get into that case where I'm like sitting. In yeah. Well, that's right. That's the other thing. Right. Like, and I, and I, and I think, I think it's like, I don't want to live. I'm not saying I don't want to live in a society where cops are busting down Cole's door and saying, Hey Cole, your friends have told us that you smoke a shit ton of weed. You got to go to drug court now. Yeah. Like, no, you know, you know, Drug use is problematic in many ways, but it's obviously most problematic when it starts to impact other people and other things. Yeah. You know, things as small as disrupting your family dynamic to, you know, I'm not saying this is common with marijuana all the time, but like, you know, for addiction, like robbing a store, right? To get money, to fuel, to, to be able to yeah. buy drugs or whatever it is, right? And I, I think it's a compassionate thing to, if, if we can recognize a crime that's been committed, um, not, not just use, but definitely use, you know, if you're on the street, like using, like that's, I think we should utilize drug courts. But if you commit a crime, that probably not a violent one, but like, you know, if you commit a crime and maybe you shouldn't just immediately get thrown in jail. Maybe if drugs are the motivating thing in your addiction, maybe we should try and rehabilitate. Like yeah. Maybe you should try and give that option. Yeah. So I, I don't view it as like, I'm performing a citizen's arrest on you during this podcast. And sending, like, I don't think you're the, you are not the, the type that I, that yeah, I think yeah. needs to go to drug court. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not like, you don't have to be militant about it in that way. Like yeah. there are obvious reasonable limits where it's like, I think you're a productive member of society and you're doing your thing, you know? Yeah. And that's like, you know, before we get to Colorado and Denver, I wanted to talk to you about some things that we have talked about in the past, but I actually figured out like what the lobbying, the lobbying initiative that you guys were able to accomplish was. So I thought it'd be, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but we can get to that stuff that Sam has lobbied for. In yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, that's, you know, just to kind of wrap this topic, I thought one of the most interesting things would be to just like sit right in front of each other yeah <laughs> like i can touch you right now yeah i did uh, dude it's so cool and man. but but i feel like it makes this i i wondered about you you know and i wondered like what you actually thought and it did give me uh <laughs> some faith in humanity when we were walking over and you're like no i don't really have a problem cold that you smoke like and i asked you yeah. if you'd like yeah if you hang out with people that smoke and you said yeah i know people that still use cannabis from time to time but am i gonna like hang around them while they use it no you know and i respect that just because i gave you an example where it's like i don't really like to hang around people that are drinking you know so i can yeah, it's like it's something to like i even like i'm around people who even when they use it i go to like i just graduated college like i went to parties i'm not like a, yeah. and I'm not a total not like loser, a maybe half of one right <laughs> but you know it's like my issue is what i what i said to you was 
If you asked my advice on is this a healthy activity, is this something that you would support or think I should be doing, I would say no uh, if someone asked me that. Um, but am I not going to be your friend because you use cannabis? No. I'm not naturally going to be hanging around people who are like smoking every single day. Yeah. Right? That's just not my lifestyle and it's not a grudge against anyone or like people often say, Oh, you're just jealous that like you couldn't handle it. I get that on Twitter all the time and I can, or I'm like, no, I'm, I'm really actually not. I actually like my <laughs> life. I actually like my life sober, uh, prefer it, but it's just, that's not just like you wouldn't just like people who are smoking every day probably wouldn't want to hang out with me. Cause I don't right. Yeah. Like they, they might not have anything against me, but they probably don't want to hang out with me cause it's just an incompatible lifestyle. Yeah. You know, um, that's how I view it. Uh, it's not any more complicated than that. I don't have a problem. And that's why it's like at Sam, we support decriminalization because we don't, we don't have a grudge against people who smoke weed or think that they're bad people or think there's a moral failing or anything like that. Is it, do we think it's healthy? No. Do you think we should dissuade it? Yes. Our real grudge and the people we really think have a moral failing is this industry. Yeah. That's, that's who we have real animosity towards is an industry that wants to profit off of those people, particularly the ones that have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why just to wrap up the hypothetical scenario, we've been (laughs) running around, but that's why I do think that my scenario, I know that you're saying that it doesn't play out perfectly. I would prefer your scenario. Yeah. I feel like that's a smart approach to marijuana. Yeah. So (laughs) So if I had to choose, like, you know, there's so many different ways of doing marijuana policy. Sure. Like if I could list an order of worst to best, you know, I think your preferred system, the home grow system would, I would, that would definitely be on the side of, okay, better than most options. Is it my optimal solution? No, but it's certainly better than what most Having states a have now. On yeah, it's, yeah, right. Exactly. So that, so, so I, I think we can find some common ground there. I think it's a more intelligent solution. Yeah. yeah. And forgive me for, you know, a bit of a, like, personal question but yeah. since you mentioned cannabis use disorder one of the things you've mentioned in the past and correct me if i'm wrong but yeah. like you mentioned that i think when you were trying to stop cannabis that you also had maybe gotten into your parents liquor cabinet or something yeah. like that yeah can i ask you look i i don't view this as like just because you had an issue with other drugs that you don't have cud i acknowledge cud is a, a thing and i acknowledge that i think i suffer from it yeah in some ways but uh, I wouldn't call it suffering because I don't view my cannabis use as a problem, but I do acknowledge that I have an addiction to it, just like I'm addicted to Coca-Cola. Like, yeah. You saw me pass on a Coke during the burger we have. I did. You have no idea how, like, I really wanted a Coca-Cola. I've been trying to cut down. Sorry I got a Diet Coke. I feel No, like. no. You, did, you didn't trigger you. Didn't tri- didn't tri- tri- uh, yeah. No. But what I wanted to ask you was, and I don't view this as, like, taking away from the fact that you had CUD, but can I, do you also feel like you just had an abuse, a substance abuse issue? 100%. That, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I don't view it as taking away at all. Um, I... I just hope you didn't view that as like a no, not at all. So, so (laughs) as you said, like CUD is a medical diagnosis, right? Yeah, it's a real thing, and it's definitely what I had. But when I think of myself, I don't think of myself as yes. I oftentimes like now we have a more long form, right, deeper conversation here, so I can go into this. You know, if I'm doing just kind of my pitch to people on Sam and my personal story, I'll say I had a cannabis suffered from cannabis use disorder, but that's not really the first thing that comes to my mind. 
right? I have an addictive, I've gone back and forth whether I like the word addictive personality, but just for, to boil it down, I have an addictive personality, right? Marijuana was my drug of choice, right? That was what was most attractive to me. Now, I cannot hold my alcohol. Mm -hmm. If I have a little bit of alcohol, I'm gonna have a lot of alcohol. If alcohol is in front of me and I'm drinking, I'm gonna drink it. I'm not gonna say no to it, right? Just like if it were marijuana. It just so happened that marijuana was the thing I preferred and did more often, and so maybe was, I guess, the root of more problems than alcohol by itself. But if all the marijuana in the world vanished in the middle of my use, I would have been drinking every day, right? So there, I just, I had a problem and, uh, and, and I see that crop up in my everyday life. I have a huge sweet tooth. I, I too freaking, you know, I, I went out with my girlfriend to get some breakfast and I got, you know, I could have gotten like a ham and cheese sandwich that was like kind of a breakfast style thing, or I could have gotten like a bacon, egg and cheese. I'm not saying it's healthy, but sure. But I had two freaking pastries, like <laughs> yeah. huge Danishes, right? Yeah. Like that's what I chose, right? So like, it's how I am. It's how I, it's how my mom is, right? I have no, do you want to know? I'm proud of this. I do, I, my girlfriend gets so mad at me all the time because she always gets hungry and she's like, are you kidding me? I don't have, I don't have a, the only snack that I have in my apartment is literally like rice cakes. <laughs> because if I have a box of Oreos or a bag, whatever pack of Oreos, I will eat it in one night. Gone. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's gone one night. Chips, gone. Like, just totally gone. I don't, and I'm sober, man. Like, and it's gone. Yeah. So, I, I have to do things, right? So, yes. So, I did have a cannabis use disorder. I met criteria for that, but I, I had a problem. And something that always stuck with me was my sponsor in NA, Narcotics Anonymous, which I went to, always said to me, switching drugs is like switching seats on the Titanic. <laughs> You're still going down. Like yeah. he could think, oh, I have an addict, you know, I stopped this, but I did it, you know. And I know, I know plenty of people who, and, and I will say, and I'll admit this, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people on my side of the issue will admit. So maybe we can find some common ground on this as well, and people maybe can get some respect that I can acknowledge this. Like, I do not think that all problematic substance use is addiction or that all problematic substance use means that you have to stop using substances for the rest of your life. I think, I always think that just not using substances is healthier and I would advise someone stop if they have a problem with substance use. But like, for example, like I had a friend and he, uh, he smokes a lot and he, uh, and he used to drink a lot and he like it struggled with depression and stuff and he just had a bout of depression and he was drinking so much right he was drinking a lot and now he's totally fine there's no problem with alcohol drinks like yeah. normally right like a kid a, you know 22 year old kid or 23 year old kid or whatever um, but it was like yes he had a problem with substance use right. as a history of, of substance abuse but it wasn't really like an addiction Mm -hmm. He was leaning on it as a crutch in a moment and was still unhealthy and he still shouldn't have done that for his own health and even mental health and physical health. That doesn't mean he has an addiction. Like I can acknowledge that just like, and you can use marijuana the same way. I just think that m leads to addiction so often, right? Yeah. That can often lead to addiction, but it might not always be the case. Like drugs are just so much nuance, right? And it's not black and white. So I can also like, fully acknowledge that and I just wasn't one of those people. I know that if you gave me a joint right now, like 
I wouldn't just get mildly stoned. Like I'd want to see how far it could go until I was sick. You know, that's, that's how I would do it. Gotcha. That's just how my brain works. Yeah. And I want to be respectful of you asking this question, just like I'm respectful of, you know, people in my life, but that, that suffer with addictions. Yeah. Do you ever think about it, doing it again? Yeah, not not really. Like, actually, no. Like, not no. at all. Are you sure? I'm just yeah, joking. No, I'm joking. No, so so. Like, Sorry, I didn't mean. No, to be no, 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 no. Not you. No, you're not at all. I, so, I really love my life. Yeah. I'm really, really happy. Yeah. Um. And it's like when I first started in my recovery it was like the primary reason was like, okay, like if I did this again, like it would devastate my mom and my dad and people who care about me and have supported me and invested their time and energy in me and love me and my school and maybe my career. And now it's like, I just don't have a desire. Yeah. I love my life. I find enjoyment in my life in other places. And I also like, I work in politics. I, I find it so funny, like a disproportionate number of people who are really far in their career in politics are sober not 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 meaning that you can't drink or do something whatever like yeah. richard nixon was a raging drunk <laughs> but like literally like three out of our last four presidents you know prime minister of england uh now former speaker of the house you know one of the most do you, do you fun fact one of the most pro marijuana members of congress is a teetotaler nothing doesn't drink doesn't smoke nothing huh. and tells his kids don't do anything do you know who it is no jamie raskin oh Jamie Raskin said in a committee while he's pushing the Cure Act, which is a marijuana bill, that he's a he's like I'm a teetotaler. I don't do huh. anything. Not crazy. Yeah, like, that's interesting. Uh, very interesting. So I and I, I feel like it just like helps me. I, I always it's like before I was almost addicted to not being in control, mm. and yeah, now yeah. I feel like I'm almost addicted to being in being control. In I'm always on. I'm always there at events. I'm always on. You know, I know I'm never gonna be uh, like inhibited from from being able to do what i you know from doing what i need to do right yeah. for my work and personal life and and i enjoy that kind of security or comfort i guess now yeah you will probably won't be able to relate to this thought but it's just <laughs> funny for my stoners that are out there uh to your point like there's still even stigma among you know people that let's say practice or smoke <laughs> they uh, yeah. use the drug i'll just be blunt about it Pun intended. Uh, like I walk walked into the Marriott uh, at Benzinga, and I ran into some people that I know. And the first thought was like, "Oh my god, I probably reek of marijuana right now," because I had just smoked like several joints with people yeah. in the front. And it's funny that I even had that thought because I was at a cannabis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's gonna care <laughs> there. Didn't right. care. <laughs> yeah. So the, again, I didn't bring that up like you would relate to it, but. Maybe that's sort of what you're talking Like, I was in a weird headspace kind of for a second because I was like, oh, shit, they can smell me. Like, a and But when I come to a place, you know, I'm just, you know, like I don't have those different worries. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those were worries as a result of my drug use, literally. Yes. Like, I was like, I smell like weed. Well, I have no, yeah, I have no yeah. worries now, right? Like, do you know the first, the first relief from stopping smoking marijuana for me was the loss of general paranoia mm, yeah. about that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like being a, being a smoker or a stoner or whatever, like you're just always paranoid. Yeah. Whether it's about how you smell, whether it's, you know, am I going to like, if you drive, cause I, I don't, I think it's bad, but it, a lot of people smoke and drive, like, am I going to get pulled over? Oh my God, that copy is definitely following me or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like all the time, you know, that, 
it, always worried someone's gonna look at you and just instantly know if you're still in school or high school or college, like, oh my God, my teacher's gonna know, like my mm -hmm. parents are gonna, like always that fear of just f someone finding out that you're you hear something. on something. That was lost. I'm like, no more anxiety yeah. about that. And I was very happy with that relief. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, dude, because that's a big weight off of your shoulders. And it's the same thing I happened when I would get like grounded in high school. I was like, you know, this sucks, but at least I'm not like having to worry about hiding my, like I didn't have that stress to enable my yeah. drug habit. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Going, oh my God, hiding stuff in your room, going off and like hoping like your parents don't go in there and find something. Like, yeah. oh my God, terrifying. Yeah, it's like exactly. Terrifying. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Every time your door opens up, you're like, shit. Yeah, like it's yeah, stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just don't so stressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need that. So when I stopped, it's like I did. I didn't have that anymore, and I felt so much better in yeah. those in those ways. But funny thing, and we kind of talked about this at lunch, but some of the paranoia and some some of my most profound experiences with drugs have come from thoughts that have either come up via paranoia, in the case of cannabis, or you know just epiphanies in the case of like psychedelics. Yeah. And as we talked about, I definitely started that experience because I was like, I want to get high, dude. Yeah. But I came out of that experience, and I know it sounds cheesy, and feel free to like call me on it, but transcended in that I had thought through some things that I needed to think about and that I wasn't able to break out of my pattern for whatever reason being sober and literally changing my perception, I feel I feel, I'll say that again, because it's not like proven, allowed me to see the world differently. And um, I don't really have a question there. I just wanted to share that. It's weird. You mentioned the paranoia and stuff. Sometimes that paranoia is like really good for me. Like it doesn't feel that way when I'm going through it, but it is. I can give you an example. Like the last time yeah. we released a podcast together, I love, and I'm going to do it afterwards and we're going to take a picture and be like, you won't believe who I had lunch today with. Yeah. 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 Because I love blowing up the internet. Oh, like that. great. Oh my God. I blow but, the internet all. You can imagine. <laughs> I mean the comments, but the moment I do that, Jordan, I'm not going to lie that maybe tonight when I'm smoking, I'll be thinking like, I'll just, it'll go through the rigmarole of all the worst thoughts. And that's like, healthy for me because I go through all the worst case scenarios yeah. and I'm like prepared for them all. I want to acknowledge again though that I don't know that that's good for everybody and that I've had experiences with paranoia or just being discombobulated for lack of better words that would not be good for a vulnerable person. Like yeah. I, I consider myself stable somebody that watches my show a lot might not think so much but I can No, for sure, yeah. No, yeah, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's, I wanted to say that not that you would have anything to add on but to just prove a point that in a weird way, some of those bad experiences that people talk about, I like value them. And to quote Joe Rogan, I feel cheesy for doing it, but he's like, you know, the scary trips, that's when you learn some shit. That's when yeah, you learn some I, shit I, about I yourself. I hear what you're saying. I think, and I almost like hate to sound like I'm like barging in as almost like the adult in the, in the <laughs> room, ahead, like, you know, preaching like, okay, reality check here, guys. Sure. But, I hear what you're saying, and that it's like that sounds wonderful. And you've heard it before, and probably, I've heard right? it before. Yeah, and that sounds great. But we're talking about a country with hundreds of millions of people, and we have to create policy for hundreds of millions of people with different life experiences, different levels of stability, different whatever. And 
there are people who are going to say, free the plan, free this, free that. Let's just do it. It's great. Like everyone's going to do it. Some have good experiences, some have bad experiences, but we're going to be great at the end of the day. Like that's not how things should be. And they should be like, let's research what that experience means. Let's do meaningful studies on, you know, the impact of marijuana, the impact of psychedelics on mental health, the pros and cons. Like, what is it? What is it going to do? The impact. Find, isolate, you know, how can we use the substance in a safe and effective way, if we can at all, to treat X, Y, or Z. And then in a clinical setting, right, like we can do that with a therapist or with whomever, right? You know, you hear a lot about psychedelics and... Um, I told you at lunch even, you know, uh, I'm still very skeptical of the whole psychedelics thing and I'm against psychedelic legalization. But, you know, the idea with psychedelics from what I've heard is that, you know, you, you go through therapy sessions using just a few times, right? And then that's supposed to kind of break you open and, and get you to a point where you're able to process some feelings that you weren't able to process. That's very different than giving you a med card and saying, go smoke for the rest of your life. And that's get whatever the end you goal, want. right? Get whatever as you much want, as however you want, want how, forever, how, how long as you want. It's just yeah. a very different tracks, right? Yep. I still think the psychedelics can feed into addiction for profit. And I still think there are people who are going to make money off it that way. Right. But those are two very different strategies and approaches. Um, that doesn't mean that I think that it's 100% sound science, but it's just the goal seems to be a bit different. Um, and so I, I think like we have to think about it is to maximize the good and to minimize the harm. And I think kind of freewheeling, just doing whatever is, is not the best way to do that um, for so many people um, in, in this country. Yeah. Well, um, I think... Uh I think history is going to show that you guys were right about a lot of the things with regard to health. Concerns. Yes. But I don't even know if there's really a but there. I, you know, I think, can I give a prediction? Sure. There's obviously, you know, it's like what I want to happen, you know, what I really don't want to happen and what I think is going to happen. Right. Yeah. I think that this, I ha, I do have hope that we can turn stuff around and stop the tide, but I think there's a very, and it doesn't mean that I, it's not motivating me in my work even more, right? I think we can delay things and educate people to minimize their harm still, but I think this is going to end up looking in so many ways a lot like cigarettes, tobacco, and alcohol, right? We legalize a substance and everyone has this kind of euphoric period of it's all great, it's perfect, no harms. Yeah. And then we go to a point where now, like with alcohol and tobacco, everyone admits what the harms are. Mm -hmm. It's common knowledge that they're bad. No parent is ever gonna tell their kid, oh, you should start smoking cigarettes and drinking. Right. You know, it, it, it does damage. People agree that maybe the way we commercialize these drugs is not so good. And they might even roll some things back like they did with tobacco, right? Does that mean they're, you know, and, and does that mean that they're going to call to prohibit something again? I don't know. But, but, you know, it's kind of like a hump of history. It's like on the way up, right? Great, great, great. Oh, this isn't so great, you know. And then on the way down, like Rishi Sunak, the prime minister of Britain, of the UK just announced that he's gonna, you know, propose policy to ban cigarettes basically through uh, a wave, like right, right, age. Like the age every yeah. year. So a 14 year old today will never legally be able to buy cigarettes. And we don't have to get into that. You know, the black market thing's gonna come up with that, of course, again. But 
right? Like that's a policy I would certain like I would certainly support. And um, New Zealand did that already, I believe. And so you know we're starting to trickle, see some countries figure some things out to how do we kind of reduce use even more. And I think that's possible that that could happen with marijuana. And I you know and and I won't feel good on the day that I can say I told you so. That won't make me feel good. Yeah. You know, because uh, I think most people will understand what, even though we're on different sides of some issues, what we understand, because I think you understand what I'm saying and I understand what you're saying. Um, but when the mass masses understands the science and the health risks behind this, if it's too late, I won't, I won't revel in that. Yeah. Um, I just hope we can do some education to uh, make sure that it's not as bad as it can be. Yeah. How do you think, sorry, I just, yes. when you were talking about, how do you think we'll look back on things like this? Honest opinion, like those guys are just total idiots and yeah. jackasses and just look stupid. Like, this, like, I'm gonna look, people are gonna look at that. Like people look at videos of dumb frat guys on Barstool who do some stupid trick with a keg. Or right? the, like that's like, yeah. like even, and that's even stu- oh my God. Like, 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 and even today, does anyone really take that seriously? Like the, if you show that to an everyday person, just average person, right? are they gonna look at that and be like, that's normal or like, Sane, probably right. not. Right. You know? right. And I actually think it hurts the mo- the marijuana movement yeah. or whatever you can call it, um, because it just looks so stupid and so uh, absurd. Yeah. It's not that is not freedom to smoke a joint. That is like ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. And I just wonder, like I say, how we're gonna look back on that. And the reason I brought it up is to your point. I think we'll look back and be like, what the fuck were we doing? Yeah. In many ways, it like yeah. the way we look at you know old news stations where everybody's smoking a cigarette inside. Yeah, a doctor's office is the doctor's office. They used to have ashtrays in the doctor's office. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, I think that that's those are ways that we are going to acknowledge in the future that cannabis is not healthy. I think that's funnier when people say that. That like I'll get in disagreements with people like when I will say like let's regulate it like alcohol people will actually get mad at me because of that because they're like like alcohol it's so much more dangerous than alcohol why would we regulate it like alcohol and I'm like dangerous more dangerous than alcohol what okay so right now we're breathing in air I know this is going to seem like a weird point but if I gave you a joint do you think that smoking the joint is more healthy or do you think breathing the fresh air is more healthy? Breathing the fresh air. It's not healthy. That's my point. Yeah. None of the right. fucking drug use is not healthy. So I hate yeah. it when people... It's, it, 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 I, hate, I hate that too because like that whole alcohol marijuana comparison, it's just like... The ways in which they're unhealthy are actually very different. Yeah. And so, my- you know, like, like marijuana for the lungs obviously is worse than alcohol. Marijuana is also much worse for mental health issues than alcohol is. Like marijuana exacerbates depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, psychosis, PTSD, things like that. And can even be the onset of some of those things far more than alcohol. Now, alcohol is going to do more damage to your liver. Yeah. Right. And stuff with, you know, deaths related to just pure drinking. Right. So like there are just differences in how they're bad. Like it's just a stupid thing to say worse, worse in some ways and better in some ways. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and then you're like, you know, I'm sure you haven't done this, but you can 
you can take a dab through a bong and then smoke weed through a bong and you notice how much particulate collects because you ran that dab first through and then it's so the, my, the point i'm trying to make is people that dab regularly they're coating their lungs yeah with that. yeah it's, it's so funny the pushback that you get like smoking weed isn't bad for your lungs like are you stupid <laughs> right dude you're right. just like just admit it like the thing the thing i really dislike about some of the people who are who comment on my twitter and and you know what i will say is people who work for sam and who i work with and i don't mean to pit you know my people against your people or something like that, but like we don't do make the types of comments that i get on a daily basis I mean, I was, I don't care what anyone says to me. I was ready to like throw my phone. Like I was so pissed there, there, there was some coordinated attack on our like Instagram. Cause I don't really, we don't really post on our Instagram, but one day got like a hundred comments from all different people. It was like very odd. Yeah. yeah. I'm posting like a year and you know, my mom commented on a video that I did like talking about my recovery and my mom gave like three, like um, clapping. Yeah, clapping emojis and yeah. someone like replied to my mom said you know go jump off a bridge and kill yourself Jesus. like like i was so angry that someone said that to my mother like, yeah i don't say whatever you want to me i don't care like don't say it yeah. to my mom don't say it to my family like, i would ever dream of saying that to someone right it's it just it's it's just like the how personally people take this like i can i say one negative thing about marijuana and it's like i'm insulting their their favorite you know, team their, their children <laughs> right like i say that marijuana is bad for your lungs and you're like you're feeling like you're i'm insulting your family name mm -hmm. like what yeah like, this is ridiculous like i feel like look at yourself in the mirror like what why ask yourself why you care so much because i don't care when someone disagrees with me on mayor i don't i don't get i don't get bent out of shape i just disagree yeah do you I, you know i don't literally tell someone to die you know <laughs> yeah i don't deal with it i think as much as you do but do you <laughs> how do you deal with it online i i you know i think it used to be tougher for me um it's i i just deal with it i'm just like kind of brush it off i don't even look sometimes i'll look and just at all at one time to just give a good laugh and just see what the craziest sure. comments are um what it proves to me is why it's so hard for this issue to be talked about and why I get so many DMs all the time from people who I went to high school with or went to college with telling me I'm struggling with my marijuana use or my brother is really struggling with marijuana use or this, whatever, because I'm so public about it and that people feel like they can talk to me about it and I'm really glad that I can be that. But people see comments on Twitter pages like mine and it just shows why this issue doesn't have many advocates on my side of it, right? It does, they don't have people in recovery from marijuana who, or who are addicted, who are talking about it all the time and being very public. Like people talk about other drug use, like who would like, you know, and I really don't mean to almost, um, woe is me. This is really not trying to me being a victim or whatever, but I really believe that in terms of how we talk about mental health, solely almost only marijuana use disorder is like 30 years behind the times imagine telling someone who comp tweets about struggling with depression saying go kill yourself right or alcoholism or or recovery from fentanyl or bipolar disorder you suck 
you're terrible. You're doing Satan's work. You are a total liar and a fraud. I mean, if someone said that, someone who said I'm struggling with depression or alcoholism, like people would be like, that is a sick, disgusting person who would say that. And that is not what we do now. That's what we did 50 years ago. But for marijuana, it's like, no one cares. Mm -hmm. Like why? Mm-hmm. Like, why is it different? It's it's just not. But somehow it's so acceptable. And it's like, if you think it's not acceptable to say those things to any to someone struggling with any other mental health issue, then you really need to check yourself and look how you're talking about, you know, this particular one. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, okay, the, yeah, so great. Now a teenager who is struggling with their use who wants to talk about it with their friends or make a tweet about it or whatever, they're going to see that Instagram page or that Twitter page and see, I'm not fucking talking about that. Right. Because someone's just going to tell me to kill myself. Right? So it's like a, it's a vicious cycle. And so the fewer people who talk about it, then those people who are commenting on those things aren't exposed to anyone but me who's talking about it. So they think right. I'm the liar. Right. It's a vicious cycle. It just perpetuates. Right? And so that's why I still talk about it because I want to get that out there, the message out. Um, and, you know, those guys are losers, just total losers, anyone who comments anything like that. Not just to me, but to any human being. I've never commented something like that in my life. Losers, and most of them have no profile picture and a fake name, and I put my whole self out online, and right. I comment with my face, and you can look me up, and you know who I am. And so if you're going to use a faceless profile that tell me some vile thing to me or my mother, it's just like uh, pretty much total loser. So that's yeah. how I think about it. I would agree, dude, and I'm glad you have that that view on it because somebody who's going to hide behind, uh, you know, an online profile yeah. and make I wouldn't even call it a bad faith argument, a bad faith comment. Because yeah. I've seen yeah. not even yeah. arguments. They're yeah, just right. Use use an argue with me. Like, tell me I'm wrong about my opinion. I don't care. Send me an essay telling me why I'm wrong. I yeah. don't care. It's different to insult a person. Right. And also, and so I, I'll say though, the, like to get more personal about it, the hardest part for me has been not anymore, but maybe more than a few years ago, not letting those things get to me, not in terms of getting offended, but more like preventing me from gaslighting myself. Right. Because like, it's almost, it's like gaslighting, right? Like people say you're fake, you're a liar, you're making this up. Right. And people tell you that so often you begin to question yourself and your own experiences, you know, like, so I question, okay, the most negative experience of my life, am I just making that up? Like, am I, am I, did I just exaggerate everything? Like, did I really even have a problem? Am I really just kind of a wimp? You know, uh, you know, am I what these people say I am? You know, is this really, could I really just do this responsibly? You know, is it really addictive? Is you know, was I just totally overreacting? And you, because you hear that all the time, right? Like it can get to you. Um, so, and I think that has been the biggest obstacle in my recovery is not letting the gaslighting get to me. Someone just said to me, we were talking in a conversation, like, you know, gaslighting only works if the person on the other end is, you know, stupid enough to basically accept it. Right. If you're just like, yeah, your gaslighting just straight up isn't going to work. No, you're just wrong. Go away. You know, that, that yeah. person has no power. So I think I've had to work on letting that not have power over me. Um, and I've been pretty successful with it. But I'd say that's like, to answer your question head on, like the toughest thing dealing with that. Dude, yeah. I'm right there with you. And I, I was curious because, again, I don't think I get it as much as you or maybe in the spirit that you get it. <laughs> it's like pure hatred. It's like ridiculous, you know. Yeah. It's like, I was curious how you deal with it because I, I, and I'm glad you, it sounds like you're thinking about it the right 
right way, which is like, if somebody's reaching out to you on the internet, seems like nowadays they're either trying to hurt you <laughs> or they are actually trying to help. And it's very fucking obvious which of the two. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like when I reached out to you, it was probably obvious. I don't even remember when I reached out to you for the first time. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah. But it was probably, ob- like I told you before, the reason we switched to the Cole memo is because you probably looked at my thing the first time and you were like, eh. But you were able to see from my message, it wasn't like, hey, motherfucker, uh, let's come on and I'm going to own you. Yeah, no, and you've never done that. Yeah. yeah. And we've always had good dialogue. So it's, yeah, right. And that's, yes, it's very easy to tell. Um, But, you know, I I just don't, I think this, this space is just so crazy, man. Just in so many ways. And people have such a reverence for marijuana in some ways. Yeah. Well, you said it, you know, you said it earlier and I'll be honest in some ways, like the reason I started with the topic I talked about where I said, you know, you said in the past, it's like we're not in that world and everything. It, it is sometimes hard not to take what you guys are proposing personally, but I have to really listen. Yeah. I have to really listen to what you're saying. You know what I mean? Because I still, you know, disagree with some of the points, but it's just interesting to me to see people jump off the hip and be like, you guys are big alcohol, a big tobacco. It's like, no, they're saying that's wrong too. I know, right? We say that all the time. People, so it's like I have disclose to... your donors. Oh, big pharma must paid a lot for that tweet. Right. And, and I hear. Okay, so this is. I'm glad you said that. That it's hard to not take it personally. I'm really glad you said that because because I feel the same way. Because there are moments where there are so many moments where I'll talk to someone about the legalization issue, and in my mind if someone is really hard on the other side of it, not even like you, just like really, right? Like, nope, just, I listen to everything you have to say and I still disagree. I think how my mind processes that is because I view the issue the way I do because of my personal history. A lot of it is because of my own addiction, so I feel the consequences, so I obviously have a more negative outlook on it, right? Um, I think for a long time, my mind processed, oh, so if you, because my reasoning, so I'm not being concise here, my reasoning for supporting the policy position I do partly has to do with my personal lived experience. So if you disagree with that policy, even after we've talked about it, then you must be denying my personal right. lived experience and that it's valid. And that has felt really hurtful to me at some sure. times. So I've felt that to take it personally, but I've learned that, you know, and I was talking to someone about this and they said, well, you, you saying that is kind of denying my lived experience. Like, what if I have different lived experience like that, that informs my position, right? Like you can't say like, that's hurtful to you, but so, you know, like you can't, it's kind of throwing that back at me, you know? Um, And so I've had to work hard to do that, but just because I feel that way, and even if you sometimes feel that way, neither of us go online and tell people just vile and disgusting things, Right. right? Like you, we're human. And so we're gonna feel like that sometimes. It might not be logical or totally accurate, but we're gonna feel it. Big leap between that, or big difference between that and saying, you know, go die or something on social media. Yeah. Right. That's you can feel that without doing it. Yeah. Last on this topic, do you ever have to take like a break? <sighs> yeah. So. Yeah, um, I did actually. Um, I. I cut back to working one day a week um, 
for a few months um, when I was just about to graduate college several months ago. I I really did you graduate? Yeah, I did. I did. Congrats, bro. Thank you. I uh, graduated in May and I burned out. I totally crashed and burned. Um, I was doing college working at Sam since my four years ago this month. I started working for Sam. Congrats. So I was a freshman in college at the time. So I worked at Sam. I, I usually had one or two jobs, at least Sam, and then sometimes usually something else on top of it, plus my schoolwork, right? Plus struggling like relationships and some friendships and stuff like that. Um, and I just, a few things happened at once in my life, just like a few crazy things like death in the family and just like total shakeups in life, issues with friends and thing, and then schoolwork, stress of graduating, finding a new place to live and figuring out, oh my God, I'm gonna work, work full time. And I, I just crashed and burned. And I had to learn how to not do that. Um, and part of that was taking a step back, starting to go to therapy, Good. Um, you know, really cutting back work. And now I work totally full time and I'm so glad I took some time off and took a step back. I think it's important. Like, I think if you, if you, if you know you have to do it, you have to do it. And it doesn't mean you can't come back to it because now I'm in the full swing of things, lobbying every day on the hill and, and, and back at it full time. So yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, thank you for being willing to talk about it. It's something that as I branch out from different topics, I like to ask people like yeah. you that are really involved in policy, like you doing okay? Yeah. It's cause it, I wonder about myself sometimes too. So yeah. I, you know, and I do consider you to be a friend. So yeah. I wanted to ask you that out of yeah. like a place of it's, caring, you know, it's, so. it's hard. It's like, it's a lot. And, and I'm, and I feel like I'm always working and, um, but it's, you know, I can channel that kind of addiction into a more positive way, like really yeah. investing in my work and loving, and I love what I do. And, uh, it's it can be a lot but i find it rewarding and i just find like the work-life balance is something i really have had to actively work on and separate you know i used to like watch movies with friends in college and secretly be texting my boss or doing something for writing something for work while people were watching the movie and like i don't do that really maybe sometimes but i don't really do that anymore like if i'm sitting down with my girlfriend or with some friends out at dinner watching a movie you're there doing something i'm there gotta live in that moment yeah you know and that's a huge part to it yeah cool well thank you for for discussing that i wanted to start to wrap up here in a little bit but like i said i wanted to talk about uh, cannabis in Colorado. We had talked about it in the past and I even saw one of the little pamphlets that you, I don't mean to say you, but Sam and maybe others were behind making, making that become a thing. So it's like a pamphlet that shows like what the serving size of dabs are and stuff. And I don't know everything about this policy and do you know much about the policy? I wanted to ask you before we got into Yeah, some of the changes you guys lobbied for. I do more federal stuff, but I know um, part of it was putting more restrictions on the medical program. Like I know, I believe part of it was establishing a limit yep. that you could get per day. Correct. Um, and making sure you couldn't just like hop from dispensary to dispensary to get you know get just max it out you know at the dispensaries right down the street. Um, I know that was a big part of it, and I think strengthening kind of the laws around like what qualifies for medical, not just dishing it out, dishing it out to some eighteen year old kid who says he has back pain or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was HB thirteen seventeen. That was the House Bill thirteen seventeen that became law. Um, and that's an example of what we can do in a legal state. Like in legal states, like we don't waste our time rolling back legalization, you know, um, we don't think that's a good use of our time and effort, but we can do things like, like really strengthening the regulations in a positive way to ensure safety. Like we are just dead. We are def, you know, definitely 
dedicated to that, like in a really honest way. So we, we don't feel like, oh, we're done when the legalization happens. No, that's actually when we just get started. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, we say all these bad things are going to happen. Well, how can we work in a state to, to make sure that that's mitigated as best as possible with a legalization structure? Yeah. And since you lobby at a federal level, maybe you don't know why people made the choices they made, but I'm just curious. Like when I learned what you just described, I was like, it's like, what the fuck? Like, because it's the medical patients that are having to deal with those uh, limits. And to because you might not be, like, picking up what I'm putting down just yet. I, a person that don't even live in Colorado, could hypothetically pick up more product in a day. Because I'm not from Colorado and they don't track those adult use sales. Yeah. And so I'm just like, dude, if there's going to be a clamp down anywhere, and I realize that clamping that down yeah. would be a harder thing and that they've tried to clamp it down. Yeah. But it's like, man, on the medical side, like, well, I just don't like, I, I, I just like medical marijuana even more than recreational. Yeah. Because it's not medicine. Yeah. If it was FDA approved product and it was dispensed in a dispenser and not, sorry, it was, it was told out in a pharmacy by a, a licensed pharmacist. Uh, you know, in a dosage that requires a prescription. Every other freaking medicine, you need a prescription or refill. Yeah. You know, and you don't get as much as you want over the counter. Like medicine isn't, you go to a quack for a 30 second online consultation. So you have anxiety and go to a dispensary with a bud tender and get as much dabs as you want. Right. That's not medicine. Right. It's, It's actually like a disgrace to medicine. And then voting on it. Yeah. Like when did a state legislature or a ballot initiative like voters decide what's medicine or not. Right. Like what if we put the vaccines up for a voter on the ballot? That would be ridiculous, right? That's not how we do medicine in this country. Well, to your point, I think the strongest point that you just had was like name another scenario, folks that are listening where the doctor says like, here you go. Now go pick out whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like, and it's like, and it's like there are studies that show like 80% of people who use medical just admit that it's, you know, it's just to get eye, like it's for recreational. Like, I mean, yeah, I know, got my medical just... card because it was illegal in my state, and I was like, I'm tired of driving to Colorado. Give me, I'm gonna talk to a doctor, pay whatever I fucking need to pay, and now I don't have to drive to Colorado anymore. Yeah, and then it became legal in our state. So, and that's still price, but I'm not even gonna get into it. It prices everybody out. The prices are so high. Illinois is a perfect example of where they want legalization but not decriminalization because if we actually had full decriminalization as i was saying at the beginning of the show their profit motive goes right out the door because as a a license holder said it there's only so few stores so if you need to come and acquire it you got to come to us yeah (laughs) you know yeah yeah um so so yeah anyways that's not that's really all i had for it i was just like it, it feels like and i get your like disagreement with the medical cannabis system as a, as a whole i just thought that was pretty crazy like you and i could go and purchase more cannabis than somebody who's had a conversation with their doctor legally no i want to be clear about that yeah it's, it's not, not legal, legal right it's like but also i not, could it's also not even a prescription right they don't True. ever right they don't so but yes I, I hear what you're saying but i just i think we should just roll back the craziness wherever we can whether it's wherever it's politically feasible because it's crazy that that's a system for medicine yeah. right like it's it's, it's absurd well, um, let's wrap up with reschedule and safe safer banking yeah, does that sound right 
Great. What, so here's my thing on rescheduling. Everybody's freaking out about rescheduling, and there's a large fracture in the cannabis community itself, not only just the broader policy, yeah, 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 but yeah. even within the cannabis community, like nobody agrees. Yeah. Here's my perspective on it, but I'd love to hear yours. Folks, we're operating under the Cole Memo. We are disregarding the Controlled Substances Act. So why, if it goes from most dangerous to whatever schedule three means are you worried at all about what we're doing because no matter you know we've got the list here we're saying fuck the list right so why does it matter if it's being rescheduled like why are people worried if we're not even taking that list into account that's my perspective why have people been like freaking out if it's like fuck the controlled substances list anyway why are you worried great, about schedule that's three? That's actually such a good way to put it. I didn't even think about it like that. That's actually such. <laughs> We're a not way even to put looking it. at the list anyway. We're yeah, just totally yeah. disregarding it. But I'm curious. What's what's your perspective on on rescheduling first? Um, I don't think it'll be rescheduled. Really? No, I don't. You think the DEA will be like, nah, dude? Yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yes. Do you uh, do you just feel that way, or do you? Because you're. I'm asking you this because you're uh, you're here in DC. Have you heard? No, but, um, and I, I am not going to go into any sure. detail, um, but I don't think they're happy with how this has all played out. Okay. I don't think they're very pleased with how this all played out. And I think the DEA? Or? Yeah. Okay. And I don't think, uh, a few things I'm rescheduling. One, just basic, marijuana absolutely is a schedule one drug. Yeah. It just is a schedule one drug, right? Like. If you don't like the fact that marijuana is a schedule one drug, you shouldn't disagree with that. You should just not like how we schedule drugs. That's what I always say to people. So yeah. number one thing, saying this directly to the camera. There you go. Scheduling is, the scheduling system is not a harm index. So I hate to call you out, Cole, but even what you said about most dangerous to least dangerous, that's actually not, if you read what it means, what scheduling means. Scheduling is defined broadly by two things, and then it's broken down by an eight-factor analysis into very specific things. Right. So broadly, scheduling is potential for abuse and accepted medical use, right? Marijuana, whether you like it or not, has a high potential for abuse, about 20 to 30%, right? Marijuana's potential for abuse, the, 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 basically the, on, the chief study on the dependability rate of drugs was done in like 07 or something like that. So when marijuana wasn't even nearly as potent as it is today. And even then, marijuana's dependency rate was higher than like more than half of the schedule one drugs. So high potential for abuse. Accepted medical use, like safe medical use, I think is the language, right? They're just like the medical community does not have consensus on a safe use for smoking marijuana, period. Now, marijuana as a plant, just using it, like getting bud and smoking it, not been proven to be medicinally valued. Now, there is medicinal value in certain compounds of cannabis, for sure. We have Epidiolex, which is CBD, which is a Schedule 5 drug. We have Marinol, which is THC, which is a Schedule 3 drug. You can have drugs that are derivatives of cannabis that are differently scheduled, just like other drugs. It's not just with marijuana. Um, I think it's GHB, 
um, which is a Schedule One drug. And that has a derivative. One of the compounds of GHB has actually been turned into, I think it's some sleeping medication. I'm not so sure, but it's some medication. That's a, I believe it's a Schedule Three drug. Like you can do that. So yeah, you can isolate some things and those might be differently scheduled, but marijuana as a whole, no because that does not prove to have medicinal value in and of itself yeah. in a safe way. So if you don't like that, say ditch, ditch how we schedule things. That's what people should be saying. So that's just what my opinion is on the issue. Um, the other thing is this has been done in bad faith. Look, I'm not anti-Biden. I voted for Joe Biden. I'm gonna vote for Biden again. You didn't storm the Capitol? I did not storm the Capitol, <laughs> but, but the fact that, so they dropped this on DEA's lap, and I know for a fact they, were not, they did not tell them. HHS gave no warning to DEA about this. The first time DEA heard about this was when the whole world did, okay? Yeah. Dropped this on their lap. This is supposed to be like a quiet handoff of the recommendation to the DEA for them to make their determination. This was a press conference at 4.20 p.m. from the highest ranking official at HHS. And the tweets secretary. have been sent out at 4.20 p.m. about this, correct? That is, yes, this is not supposed to be political. This is supposed to be based in science, based in research. That does not tell me that they take it very seriously. If they did an announcement that they're shifting their policy on legalization and they're pro-legalization now, and they wanted to do that at 4.20 p.m., would I give them an eyebrow roll? Sure. Would I disagree with them? Sure. But I would be more okay with that because 4.20 is like celebrating like marijuana and like liberalizing mm -hmm. marijuana, using marijuana. And that's part of what legalization is about. But this is a about. scientific but process. But this is a scientific process. This has nothing to do with politics or legalization or anything, yep. which by the way, Schedule 3 still keeps it illegal. So right. I think that was in bad faith. Uh, I don't think that showed that it was only scientific. And the final point is they have not released the letter. They Correct. haven't released it. I have somebody who's trying to FOIA it. I know, right I, the attorney, right? The guy, yeah. yeah, like like tell the world, if you're gonna do this big press conference and you know make DEA look like the bad guys, the boogeyman when, when they say, maybe when they say, oh, it's gonna be schedule, keep it schedule one. Mm -hmm. Now I have a theory as to what happened, which is not proven or backed up by anything, but I'm just thinking, okay. Sure. You know, you and me, we're going to be following this move by move, right? Like every little development yeah. and going to be get in the weeds, pun intended, about yeah. this. But the public at large, all they're going to remember is they recommended to make it Schedule 3 and does DEA accept it or not, right? right? Now, some people even think it, it's already Schedule yeah, 3. Right. <laughs> if, if at the time HHS released that letter, right. that would have given all the news outlets, all the media, an opportunity to rip it to shreds, right? If it really is, I mean, un unless it's a really great document, I have no reason to believe, like, why would they hide it? Like, if it's, you know, not kind of just yeah, no. a little politicized. So the media could have said in the stories, uh, HHS recommends Schedule 3 based on shaky science or something like that, right? Like they could have added a spin with what the letter said, but they withheld it. So now when DEA makes their determination, even if they release the letter, it's gonna be lost on the public. The news cycle's done. Yeah. The public, if they release it now, there are not gonna be stories written about it because the news cycle's over and the public isn't gonna see it. The average person isn't gonna read it. They're not probably gonna understand it. Not like they're too stupid, but like they just don't, 
people don't pay attention to marijuana policy, right? They don't even know the basic facts about marijuana a lot of the time. Uh, and that's not going to get picked up. So I suspect that they knew that they could avoid probably potentially a lot of bad press by keeping it to themselves and releasing it later and then make DEA look like the bad guys. Yeah. So um, I just, I, it's just not, it's not based in science. And, uh, you know, I have a big, I, you know, I have a bigger problem even with the abuse potential like marijuana. It's like, it's so funny because you know, on the medicinal front, like more studies have just been trying to show, I think some studies show that marijuana isn't used for medicine. More studies are trying to show that marijuana is used for medicine. Like, even though I disagree, it's more accepted now that marijuana is like, has some medicinal capacity, uh, even though I disagree with that. Um, but it's becoming more acceptable, the idea that marijuana is more abusable, right? Yeah. Like it's more potent. So it's like you're like for, for decades, Republican and Democratic administrations said that marijuana had a high potential for abuse. Right. And now that it's actually even more high, ha, has a way higher potential than it used to have. Now you're saying it has a lower one. This makes no sense to me. Like what? <laughs> right. The potency's jacked up. Like what does that even? This yeah. makes no sense. So. so I recently saw you read a DEA thing. How was that? Great. That was cool. I wasn't choking to you when I said no, that. No, I, I couldn't tell. I kind of couldn't tell if you were saying that was a, it was good. So it was the 50th anniversary of the DEA. Attorney General Merrick Garland was there. Um, That'd be cool. DEA Administrator Milgram. Asa Hutchinson is running for president. It used to be DEA admin. Like most of the former DEA administrators were there. And it was really good. It was yeah. really cool. Did you get a t- chance to talk to anybody? Um, I got, so I stood with my boss while he talked to Ann Milgram. He tweeted that out. Yeah. Um, got flamed for that one. Did he get some good licks in? Did he make his points? Yeah, yeah, he did. He did, yeah. a, really good, he did a really good job. Um, my boss actually just got back from the border. He's writing a book, and uh, he's, or I think it's for a book, and he's, he went to the border for a day to visit it and, like, for research on drug trafficking. Yeah. And doing a lot of cool stuff, meeting a lot of pe- cool people. Um, but, yeah, that was cool. It was, like, a lot of great people and, like, like-minded <laughs> to me on drug policy, obviously. So, yeah. It was really awesome, yeah. I still want to talk about safer banking, but just before I forget this line, I think you're going to love what I'm about to say. I think the reason we both, I think if there's going to be anything we completely agree on today, it's going to be this. I think the reason we both find this topic fascinating for different reasons yeah. is because this is the biggest separation between federal policy and state policy yeah. since slavery. Yes. Huge, huge separation. Yes. Yeah. It's huge pretty crazy. Separation. Really crazy. Yeah. So not much more to that thought. I mean, if you want to add on to it, I can't. No, to- just totally. I agree. It's a huge separation. It's fascinating. Just a legal conundrum. Yeah. Yeah. Safer banking. Is it safer? Yeah. No, Is not at all. Is uh, <laughs> If Schumer had the votes, he'd put it on the floor. I saw that you said, and I liked this tweet, and I almost retweeted it and framed it. I will, <laughs> I will graduate Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry before it passes. I'm sorry, that was a really funny tweet. Yeah, good, good shit on that one. Thank you. I had to, I just had to put him in his place. He was, yeah. Anyways, though, do you, you? So you feel that way? It's not going to pass. This is all just punchbowl news. Running which up is the punchbowl news, which is like the preeminent, you know, like news Capitol Hill reporting. 
basically group. What does that like, mean? Punch, so Punchbowl News, they're like, they're, oh, they're an outlet. They're, they're an outlet, and they're like, I thought the, that was like a term. They're <laughs> the guys on the Hill that do reporting. Every like 99 plus percent of Hill staffers subscribe to them. They're like the people, basically, hmm. um, the most trusted folks on the Hill. Uh, they do a survey of all these issues and just released 13% of senior staff on Capitol Hill think safe banking will pass. 13% this year. 13%. When did they release that? Uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, might have even been yesterday. Um, so, you know, just rattling off a few points here. If Schumer had the votes, he'd put it on the floor. Yeah. There's reasons that safe banking had eight GOP co-sponsors and this one only, this new version only has four. Mm. Cut in half. They haven't re-upped on their co-sponsorship. There's a reason that Republicans tried to renegotiate on the negotiated deal on section 10 with the gun, the firearms industry thing, that right? And people are still trying to negotiate. Um, now that would make it to be clear so that cannabis users could purchase. No, so that's something different. So, oh, sorry. so section 10 of the bill is a Republican sweetener that was added after the NRA lobbied on the bill four years ago. And it basically says that currently there are some banks that like, sh- 10 years ago, Obama, the Obama administration launched this thing called Operation Choke Point, where they shut down customer accounts that were engaged in high-risk activity. And it basically mostly affected firearms manufacturers and obviously mm-hmm. conservatives went in an uproar about shutting down bank accounts of gun manufacturers. Uh, you know, we don't have any position on that either way, right, Sam? But um, it was a Republican sweetener for the bill. Then Jack Reed, Democratic senator from Rhode Island, was like, yeah, no, I don't want to basically just gut this Operation Choke Point and make it illegal to do. Um, and they had a huge fight over that. It lasted two months. It slowed down progress of the bill. They came to a negotiation. And look, the bill's either going to protect the firearms industry or not. And one side has to cave, and so the Republicans caved. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bill doesn't protect the firearms industry. Um, and that means it's dead on arrival in the House, by the way. The person who put got that in there in the House says this bill's dead. Yeah. So... Even if it passes Senate, which I don't think it will, because the Graham Act, which is what you were talking about, allowing marijuana users to get guns, um, is kind of a Republican sweetener that Chuck Schumer wants to add to the bill. And then the HOPE Act, which is a cannabis expungement provision, which is also really bad legislation, which we oppose, actually. Um, he wants to attach as well. And, you know, we, I say we're pro-expungements. Um, but to be clear, and uh, you know, this is why I think it's actually going to be harmful to put the Hope Act in there, um, and I think some Democrats are going to be against it. The Hope Act provides twenty million dollars to the Department of Justice to give to state and local jurisdictions to basically help fund expediting, like ex- you know, cannabis offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was for cannabis possession, that would be one thing. But the bill defines cannabis offenses as any cannabis offense that has been eliminated or reduced in penalty pursuant to or following legalization in a state. So take Oregon, a concrete example. Oregon legalized marijuana and pursuant to their legalization law, they reduced the penalty for delivering marijuana to a minor. That is actually an expungable offense in Oregon after a certain amount of years of conviction. So federal dollars totally could be totally legally used to fund the expungement to fund a legal clinic to help a guy who's selling drugs to minors get that expunged from his record now that's not something that sam believes in or thinks should happen so that's why that we we disagree with this bill but it's a sweetener but we think it goes too far so 
that's look. And then Raphael Warnock, who voted against it in committee, says that that's not even enough. So yeah, end of the day, and like, it's based on some of the things that maybe not complete spirit, but some of the things I was saying earlier. Right? It was his comment about it doesn't go far enough in terms of decriminalization, or am I thinking just of the just wrong? in terms of social justice? Just social, social justice. justice. Like, yeah. like he doesn't think this. He thinks the Safe Banking Act is just going to help rich, wealthy bankers, and it's totally true. It one hundred percent will, and he doesn't think it will help communities of color. So he wanted like a study done, a measure its effects, and then have the bill sunsetted after five years if it's determined that it hasn't helped communities of color like proportionately. And, and they voted all against that. Um, you know, there's a term in Washington for bills. Um, we call them Christmas trees. Um, some bills, right? If this bill becomes a Christmas tree, which means that you're just going to tack a bunch of ornaments on it, like add a bunch of bills, add a bunch of amendments and measures, and basically, you know, it'll kind of drag it down and uh, it'll sink the ship, I think, if they add too much, um, yeah. too much cargo. Uh, yeah. So that's what I think will happen because to get those dis- disparate factions on, they have to add sweeteners, but too many is going to then piss off the other side. So uh, I think they've got a really tough path here in the Senate and a near impossible one in the House. And final note here is uh, the two leading candidates for the new speaker's race are, again, anti-marijuana, uh, the chairman of financial services where the bill needs to go through, who's now the temporary speaker, Patrick McHenry, is against the Safe Banking Act. And even the Republicans in the House who are pro-safe banking were only pro because of the Section 10, and now it's been gutted. So I just don't think it's going to happen. Gotcha. Well, thanks for weighing in on that. I want to just wrap up with a few questions. I think this will be a quick one. Or maybe you have some something to say about it. I meant to bring it up during our rescheduling conversation. Uh, you know, damned if I do, damned if I don't on that one. On this one, what do you what do you say to the folks? Because they say it all the time, and they've maybe already even said it to you. Well, cannabis and and uh, or sorry, alcohol and tobacco aren't scheduled. Your response? Um, I know what my response is. I'm just trying to word it carefully. Sure. Um, Listen, motherfucker. Is that how you were going to start? I'm just joking. I I have a sense of humor. They probably fucking should be. (laughs) They probably fucking should be. Oh, they should be scheduled is what you're saying. Alcohol and tobacco absolutely meet the definition of controlled substances. Yeah. It's politics. Yeah. The liquor lobby and the tobacco lobby, it's politics. Right. They absolutely meet the definition, but we can't go back. Like, trains really left the station on that one. Right? Like, like, alcohol's been... And tobacco have been really huge parts of, of, of our culture since the It's inception. in our constitution. And, and don't give me, and, and not you, but don't everyone give me shit on the Thomas Jefferson, like, smoking hemp or something. Like, let's be real, okay? Totally different. Marijuana just does not have the longevity of the cultural significance in American life as alcohol and tobacco. <laughs> it just doesn't, right? So... Uh, the liquor lobby is incredibly powerful. Tobacco lobby is incredibly powerful. Um, the taxes that people get, right? The politicians don't want to give that up, even though the social cost is far, you know, outs- outweighs that, um, right? So it's never going to happen. And this is what I always say. But people are going to, you know, hear me say this. Oh, okay. So Jordan's a prohibitionist. So Jordan's just a prohibitionist. This prohibitionist. That. This is what I'll say. We've learned from the lessons of prohibition. We've learned from alcohol prohibition and the downsides of that. We've learned from marijuana prohibition and the downsides of that. But alcohol and tobacco are not controlled at all. And so we've also learned the downsides of a totally uncontrolled, um, regulated, 
because it's so funny because controlled substances are regulated technically by law substances, but we call alcohol and tobacco regulated even though they're it's, it's yeah. weird, right? So, but you know, we've also learned the dangers of full commercialization. So that's why Sam says, let's go somewhere in the middle. We don't need to go back to the days of alcohol prohibition, but we don't need to go to you know pre-1971 cigarettes when they're having ads all over TV and radio and Marlboro Man and right cartoons. Do we really need to go there? Right. That's where we fall. Fair enough. Well, thank you for answering. Yeah. Do you think they should be scheduled? So, uh, yeah, I, you know, can't call me inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can disagree. We can't call me inconsistent. Well, uh, I think this is my last question and I, it was inspired by something you had said when we were out at dinner, um, or out at lunch. What, what did you mean I think I knew what you meant earlier, but what did you mean when you say that you think that you and the Parabola Center are like actually <laughs> starting to, it seems, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that you don't maybe disagree on as much as people might think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's like, I think the, with people like Shaleen, who, you know, I, I don't even know her super well, so I'm not going to like pretend that like I'm, I'm friends with her, but, um, but, you know, she certainly knows us and we know her, um, but at the Parabola Center, right, like, I think actually the differences and similarities between them is actually the similarities and differences between us, right? Like we've talked about this conversation woven in as kind of the theme between maybe me being a little pessimistic and you being a little optimistic. And I think that's the difference, right? Like you and the Problem Center recognize what's really going on and the commercialization and the big tobacco takeover and the addiction for profit. I think like three of our, our entities recognize that. Um, the difference is I think like you and them and I'll, loop to get, I'll, I'll group together think that there is a solution that uh, there's kind of a you can thread the needle right like you can figure out a way to really liberalize these laws and not have that happen and not have a big tape over and not have a monopolist have more kind of a utopian vision of it right mm-hmm. where like the hippies imagined you know um, 50 years ago right uh, I don't think that's the case. So we recognize the same problem, but our solution is different. Um, I think the solution is to not go down that path at all. Uh, whereas you and maybe Shaleen or people at Problem Center might disagree with that. Uh, yeah. I think that's the main similarity and difference. Cool. Well, Jordan, uh, it's been a blast to have lunch with you today. Yeah, and, man. And have a good conversation. Before I go, uh, would you like to have space for the last word here on the Cole Memo? You know, I think we've uh, yet again fleshed out pretty much most cool. of the topics. Um, but I am so happy to be here with you in D.C. and happy. And I love the name, the Cole Memo. I think Thank it's you. fantastic. And uh, I, I hope that people who are gotten this far have enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a thing or two and can check us out at www.learnaboutsam.org and you can email me at jordan at learnaboutsam.org um yeah i think one one thing we could say to the people that are still listening right now is that they're obviously as much of a cannabis nerd as you and i yeah 100 percent. so yep props to you folks for uh listening even <laughs> if you disagreed with myself or if you disagreed with jordan i hope that you you stuck it in for the long haul and Jordan, I appreciate you, man. Thanks, man. Yep. All right, folks. Hope you found value in this conversation. I sure did. We'll see you on the next episode of The Cole Memo.